get it going. It's time to get up. This one's blocked. And return for the touchdown. Carey gets the touchdown after the block by Eagley. These guys are here to break it all down. I did everything well today. I rolled well, hit my irons well, and putted well. Uh, the only you know real bad shot I hit today was at eight. You know I had a, had a perfect number with a six-degree sandwich, and I hit it on the wrong shelf. Uh, but other than that, I did, did everything well. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Who do you think you are? I am. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. T-G-I-F, although it's not your regular Friday. It's Friday the 13th, and the backdrop of a pandemic. What could possibly go wrong on a Friday the 13th in the middle of a global pandemic? Am I right? Am I right? Nevertheless, we're still rolling into the weekend So we'll take it as a win, even if we are all doomed here. What's happening, everybody? My name is James Cebulski. This is the starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver hockey, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. My broadcast partner in crime, my fellow ski patrol buddy, Perry Solkowski, away today. We wish Perry all the best. As he explained yesterday, he's going for his third hernia surgery. Or is it hyena surgery? No, it's no laughing matter. Uh, Perry should be back. All goes well on Monday, barring a serious malpractice suit. But, uh, yeah, shout-out to Perry. Wishing him all the best. Brendan Batcher will join us in an hour, and uh, we will navigate the final two hours. But you're stuck with me solo here for the next 60 minutes. Here's what we got coming up over uh, the next three hours here on this Friday morning. Uh, Steve Rapp from Sports Interactions Inside the Lines will try to get you paid this weekend in the National Football League. He'll drop by from Sports Interactions Inside the Lines and try to pick you uh, a few winners uh, for this weekend in the National Football League. That's coming up in a little over 15 minutes from now. Also, Stephen Ames. Yeah, remember when Stephen had a pretty good head-to-head showdown with Tiger Woods? kind of talk some smack about him, and then Tiger kind of, well, you know. Anyway, Steven's on the Champions Tour now, and he's going to drop by in about an hour from now and break down what he's seen from the Masters so far. Steven was, uh, man, one of the top, you go back about 15 years ago, I mean, Steven was kind of one of the bigger names in golf at the time. Uh, married a Vancouver girl as well. So we'll uh, so he gets, he gets some local love out here. Uh, we'll talk to Stephen in about an hour from now. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 with the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Mr. Brendan Batchelor, Seaball says, coming your way at the bottom of the hour and why we should appreciate Fred Van Vliet's honesty from this week, wanting to get paid. Uh, we'll also crunch the numbers and play Stat Me Up at 645 with our million-dollar man, Scott Brown, from Fifth Avenue Real Estate and Marketing. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, always open for business. We welcome that for you. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter, at Sportsnet650. You can also find us on Instagram as well, at Sportsnet650. If you aren't following us yet on Instagram, hey, Give us a like. Give us a follow. Try not to slide into our DMs, but, you know, we'll keep it clean here over the next three hours on this Friday morning. Lots to get to, and, man, where to begin? Uh, We'll start with the National Hockey League. And there was a Board of Governors meeting yesterday discussing kind of where the NHL stands at this point. 
the NBA is ready to go. They are ready to go in less than 40 days from now. They are going to tip off the 2020-2021 season. They do that December 22nd. Now they've got the draft coming up next week. Free agency will start. Signings, trades, all of it. There's already a ton of rumors out there. Russell Westbrook wants out. Serge Ibaka rumored to be wined and dined by the Lakers, by the Nets. I mean, there's a lot going on. Meantime, the National Hockey League, they've taken care of the draft. They've taken care of free agency. Everybody's in a holding pattern, unless you're Mike Hoffman, and you're kind of still waiting to get paid. But the National Hockey League had a meeting yesterday, and we all kind of sat there and wondered, come on, like what's taking the National Hockey League so long when we go back to the summer? And they slow-played it, and they slow-played it well, much to their benefit, to where... They eventually agreed upon two bubbles, Toronto, Edmonton, east side, west side, and you know what? They hit a home run with it, right? I mean, the NBA had Orlando, the NHL had two bubbles here on this side of the border, and it worked. They nailed it, but I don't think anybody wants to do another bubble. And they've talked about a number of scenarios where there could be hybrid bubbles, I just don't see the appetite being there for the players. And quite frankly, there's been more coming to light this week that I don't think the owners want to do another bubble. I think they want to get back into their own arenas and see something like we just watched unfold with Major League Baseball this year. Yes, were there a few potholes? Were there a few bumps in the road? Uh Uh-huh. Now the NHL is looking more and more like a season will resemble something along the lines of playing in their own arenas, knowing full well that the border will be closed and in all likelihood we'll have an all-Canadian division that we've been romanticizing about for about the last month now. More on that in just a second. But here's what Sportsnet Hockey Insider Elliot Friedman had to say this morning on our sister station, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And here's where things sit right now with the National Hockey League and where they want to go in terms of a puck drop for this upcoming season. They really want to try to start January 1st, and and here's why. And one of the things they learned from MLB and the NFL, who did not play in, in tight bubbles, is that you're going to get hiccups thrown your way. We saw games canceled in baseball. We've seen games canceled in football. The more runway you give yourself, the more of an opportunity you get to handle those speed bumps. And, you know, if you start, the later you start, the less flexibility you give yourself. So I don't know if it's going to happen January 1st. I mean, look, the COVID numbers are going up, and, and even that could wreak havoc on, you know, training camps and things like that over the next few weeks. But... Uh, I think they want to start as early as possible. Um, I don't know if it's going to be possible, but they're going to try. Um, I definitely believe, and it's been going this way since for about a week now, that they want it to be in their own rinks and not in hubs. Um, you know, there's, the things with hubs is costs are a little bit higher. Um, the, uh, you know, the 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 things like the naming rights on their own arenas. I've heard some companies who have naming rights are saying, look, our naming rights are losing value because there's no events being held in these buildings. So if you get your building on TV, you know, Scotiabank Arena hosting a game, at least you get your mentions out there. I think that's an issue. 
Uh, and also, if you play in hubs, there's going to be some bad TV times. They, I don't think they want that. I think they want their their TV times as close to prime time in their own markets as they can get it. So uh, I think all of these things is leading us to take us to a place where um, you can play in your own arena if you can. All right, so there's Elliot kind of laying out where things sit. The NHL still aiming for January 1. Okay, so that's an, essentially a month and a half from now, right? I mean, it's November 13th today. You're trying to get up and running by January 1st. So that creates a bit of a sense of urgency depending on a training camp, right? So if you want two weeks to try to be up and running, you're looking at essentially a December 15th start for training camps. So now you're talking to hockey kind of being back in about a month from now. And you want that room to breathe because you essentially, as Elliot was just alluding to, you need mulligans, right? You need mulligans. If you're going to play a season where you are just going to simply travel across America, you're going to have to leave room for mulligans, even Canada for that matter right now. I mean, you look at COVID-19, this is not a time to be saying, all right, let's get all the fans in the stands. And even though, you know, NBA is going to try to pull this off, the Warriors actually just put forward a proposal to have 50% capacity in their uh, in their arena. I mean, good luck. In California, I don't know how you're going to pull that off. But the United States right now has been showing numbers of about 150,000 cases a day. A day over the last week. By comparison, we have had just under 300,000 total cases in this country since the pandemic began. And our cases have been spiraling out of control. Last two days, we've had over 1,100 positive cases here in British Columbia. Right? We're seeing restrictions here. We're hoping that we can get a hold of this right now. But people got to stop hanging out and having parties at home. That's what Dr. Bonnie was telling us yesterday. Point is this. Players are going to test positive in the National Hockey League this year. That's the reality. If you're going to travel around, look, we saw it with Major League Baseball. It's going to happen. Now it's just a matter of being able to have enough time and wiggle room to allow for some of those games to be made up in the event that games need to be put on hold or postponed we saw this in the nfl i mean right i mean it has like for the most part it's been business as usual but there's still been a few speed bumps along the way so i think that's what we're looking at right now for the national hockey league and i'll tell you what the sooner play resumes there's a little more urgency for teams like how about the tampa bay lightning right dealing with their cap issues how about the new york islanders and the cap issues that they're dealing with as well, right? Hi, Matt Barzell. Still got to get that deal done, right? You know, Sergachev, Sorelli. Those contracts need to be done with the defending Stanley Cup champions. But I think the focus for a lot of us up here is the excitement of an all-Canadian division. Right? Meaningful games. My goodness, as much as we hate the Leafs here in this market, more more Canucks and Leafs? Absolutely. More Canucks and Flames? Bring it on. More Canucks and Oilers? Serve it up. How about more matchups between the Vancouver Canucks and Les Glorieux? 
the Montreal Canadiens? I say yes, right? Now, when you look at how things project, and a lot of people have been trying to do power rankings as to where teams sit and who's the best, who's not. I'll just say this. I think the Canucks are a playoff team this year, but where do the Canucks slot in? And in my opinion, they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team for an all-Canadian division. Like, we have seen some real painful years here in this market the last half decade. And not just here in this market. It was painful for a few years in Calgary, painful for several years in Edmonton, painful for an awfully long time in Toronto as well, and even some bumpy times in Montreal. The Jets took seven years to kind of get to that win-now scenario, and we're kind of debating whether that window's closed. But where do the Canucks slot in? You're looking at five teams, maybe even six, that you can look at and legitimately say, this team is a legit Stanley Cup home run threat. Only the Senators, only the Ottawa Senators aren't good enough, right? They're still a couple years away. They've got a lot of promising young talent, but they're still a ways off. But I would say this. Here's where I look at it. In my power rankings, if you will, or in terms of how I project teams, and I'm probably going to upset the apple cart here in this market. But at number one, I got the Montreal Canadiens. And yes, there's a lot of questions, and I think I should preface Like, there's questions surrounding every team. But I love the Habs. they got great goaltending, and you've got a great number two now to go along with Price. You got a strong defensive group, and you got even bigger with Edmondson on that back end, who brings a Stanley Cup ring. You got seven to eight forwards on that roster that have potential to get you at least 20 goals. Now, I think there's some legit questions around those guys, but that's some solid scoring depth with added size. I think if you look at the Habs in a seven game series, in terms of what they can bring out, they're capable of beating anyone. I don't think they have that franchise guy up front necessarily, but I think Suzuki and Kotkaniemi really took some big steps as kids last year or what we saw in the playoffs. But think about it. Gallagher, Toffoli, Tatar, Josh Anderson, Jonathan Drouin. Like there's a lot of guys that have that capability of getting you at least 20 goals. Number two on that list, I got the Leafs. I mean, how do you how do you not, right? I mean, you've got three franchise players right up front. Matthews, Stud, Tavares, still get you at least 35 goals. Mitch Marner, guy had a 95-point season just a couple of years ago. You add in William Nylander, who's another 30-goal scorer, and now you've got all this augmented bottom six lineup with cheap veterans. Simmons, Thornton, you know, you brought in Bogosian. You know, T.J. Brody, costs a little more, even not cheap, but you brought him in. You got Spezza. You've got some great character vets now. You've got a solid blue line now that the Leafs have built. You're deep up front. And you know what? As many questions as there are, and I'm not necessarily sold on Freddie Anderson as a great playoff goalie, but he's really good in the regular season. Number three, I got the Oilers. I like their moves this offseason. I'm not sold that Kyle Turris is going to get the job done, but he doesn't have to be the best player on the team. 
Pugliarvi's still big. He's still talented. He's still a wild card. And Tyson Berry, I don't care what people say. Like, as much as he had a down year in Toronto, I mean, the numbers were still pretty good for Tyson Berry offensively. And to play on a top power play unit with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, man, I think that's a recipe for him finding his groove again. I got the Flames at number four. Tanev and Markstrom, I like what they offer now. I think those contracts will be problematic in about two years from now. Maybe three. But solid D, solid forwards, not spectacular. And you solve the goaltending issue that's been a major question mark for five years. Then I got the Canucks at five. I think there's some legitimate question marks in goal. I think we loved what we saw from Thatcher Demko. But with Thatcher Demko, okay, there was a three-game sample size. You know, he had some speed bumps in the regular season. Is Demko for real? Can Holtby get back to his ace form? Can Petey and Hughes and Brock find another gear? I'm pretty confident that Hughes and Pedersen have another gear. You know, Canucks blue line, four deep, right? I like the top four, but what's that What's that third pairing look like, right? So I think there are some questions there. You lost a top six piece in Toffoli. Again, there's questions surrounding all these teams. Number six, I got the Jets. You got a great goalie. You got a deep group of forwards. That blue line thins out. And I'm worried that Blake Wheeler is aging really quick. I think that contract in another two years is going to be a real big problem for the Jets. But they're still a really good team. And then, obviously, the Senators, not enough. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line if you want to jump on in. Uh, We'll continue the conversation here in a moment. Lots of other things we'll get get to, and we'll do that in just a quick moment. But uh, the National Football League, uh, week number 10, kicked off last night, and those Colts, man, like they just continue to defy logic in some respects. But Steve Raff from Sports Interactions Inside the Lines drops by here on this Friday morning to try to get us all paid. Mr. Raff, how are you, sir? I think he listened to me probably ramble on for the last 10 minutes and finally said, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm done. I'll try to reconnect with Steve Rapp here in just a quick moment. But you look at the Thursday nighter last night, you know, Titans, after starting off the season perfect, they're kind of in a bit of a hurt right now. They've lost three of their last four, and they're suddenly 6-3, and three, and the Colts have jumped up into top spot into the division. So the Colts now pick up a 34-17 win last night. Jonathan Taylor, man, like what a play. Just an absolute truck. Boom. And Phillip Rivers, solid, not spectacular, but the Colts are now 6-3. and three. Let's try this one more time. Steve Raff from Sports Interaction Inside the Lines. Are you there, sir? I am there, James, and both your teams. Your both your teams just killed me last week. So let's start right there, okay? You want to you want to start right there? Okay, let's 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 dive in here, sir. What do you what do you got for us uh, coming up this weekend? Um, Well, I'm going with first of all. Let me tell you. Next time I take the Bears, your Bears, you got to stop me. All right, just stop me. Just say (laughs) no. That's a mistake. Don't do it again. I know. Mistake. All right, Uh, but your other team, Seattle at Los Angeles, uh, the Rams. I. when I was on near Seahawks last week, made a mistake, going to go against them this week. Seattle plays their second of back-to-back road games, while the Rams come off their bye game and bye week in a game that opens Rams as a one-point favorite. Sees the public back in Seattle at about a 65% clip for a bounce back. Sharps playing the Rams. That's why we see this number stay at one. 
Uh, James, this one feels like a kitchen sink game for the Rams for me. They're one game back of Seattle in the NFC West. They're tied with that feisty Arizona team at five and three. The rest of the rest of Rams still have that stink off the loss to Miami, where they somehow managed to outgain the fish by over 340 yards and managed to lose by 11. Seattle has one of the worst offensive lines in the league. We know that. They get to spend Sunday trying to contain the league's best pass rusher in Aaron Donald. The Rams own this matchup in recent times. They've covered six of their last eight for Seattle in L.A. In LA, they've won four of their last five straight up. The Rams have also bounced back well, covering eight of their last nine after a loss. Uh, schedule makers didn't do Seattle any favors here. I'm sure you see they play their second straight road game versus the rest of the opponent. Doesn't seem fair, James. I'm going to delay the one with the Rams. You're going to take the Rams in this one. You know, and, and it's funny because the numbers over the course of Russell Wilson's career – point to the fact that Russ is tremendous coming off a loss, right? Like he's just oh, been yeah. absolutely sensational, but um but you know what? The Rams are obviously licking their wounds after getting spanked by two in the fish a couple of weeks ago. Uh they're at home for this one. Uh and it's a divisional rivalry matchup. Okay, so you got the Rams in that one. Uh all right, so what's your second pick for us? I'm looking at the Houston at Cleveland game, and I'm, I'm going to chase the number a little bit here. I don't like to do this, but I don't really love the card. And this one I had circled early in the week when it was Cleveland minus two and a half. Uh, public money on the Browns has pushed this one over the key number three to three and a half. So really tread carefully out there at that, at that number now. But I still think it shows some value. Say what you want about the Cleveland Browns, but I think the culture's changing, and the proof is, and, and the proof is that they get the job done against teams they're supposed to. They have five wins, and they have come against teams with a combined record of 11-21-1. The Texans are perfect meat for this, with their only two wins coming against a very bad Jacksonville team. The Browns also get healthier coming off their bye with the return of Nick Chubb to join Kareem Hunt in the backfield. Miles Garrett also returns to the defense. We get the added value of a line that might be aided by a really bad Cleveland performance before their bye in horrible weather against Las Vegas. Uh, this is really, to me, a get-healthy spot for Cleveland against a Texan team that doesn't look up to the task. And a coach, by the way, in Romeo Cornell, who was just fun to bet against. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay the three and a half with Cleveland. You're taking the Browns in that one. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's funny what a step back that Texans franchise has taken to think of the promise. You go back like a year or two ago, and you're like, okay, there's a lot to like. and between trading DeAndre Hopkins, you know, obviously the start that they've got off to, and, and here they are. So you got the Rams over the Hawks. You've got the Brownies over the Texans. And, Mr. Rapp, what do you got for our three as the magic number pick? Uh, the big primetime game on uh, Sunday night, Baltimore at New England, and so eventually they're going to realize, well, I guess next year they're going to realize that uh, New England shouldn't be on primetime, and it'll be interesting later in the year when they end up at, flexing out a New England game. I'm sure that will happen. Um, I chased the road favorite lane points last week, and it cost me. It's not going to slow me down here. Baltimore opened a seven-point road favorite uh, in New England. It's now seven and a half plus money. So uh, I would probably buy this one down to the seven and, and lay 20 cents or 25 cents. But I'm going to lay it. It's over. The Patriots are no good. They have no talent on offense. They have no talent on defense. Their defensive line is porous. Their linebackers are slow and small. That's just their good points. Uh, the Ravens' smack-mouth running team is a kind of tough team that will eat up this very soft Patriots team. The Pats needed a last-second field goal last week to beat the Jets. The Jets, James. Um, the weather won't help. It calls the cold and cool and windy. Uh, great for Baltimore is the best run defense in football, a top running game. Patriots have a bottom-four rushing defense, can't throw run, or run the ball. 
I hate laying these kinds of points, but I think we've come to the reality here that even Bill Belichick can't work wonders with these guys. Sunday night primetime game. Like I said, this one's now seven up plus money sports interaction. You can lay it seven minus 20. I think that by Sunday night, this game will be close to double digits. So lay it now. This is uh, this isn't the Jets that the Patriots are playing uh, this no. weekend, right? Like that's the big difference. And uh, yeah, I like you know what I, I like the logic here. Uh, I, I like the logic here with what you got for us here this week, Steve. Uh, you got the Rams, you got the Browns, and you got the Ravens to take care of business. Um, how's the season gone overall? For people wondering, uh, season's uh, not been bad for me. Started slow, but I had a big climb up to the top of the inside the line standings. I uh, went with Tennessee, your, uh, so Chicago, your team, and Seattle, your team last week, and went one and two. So uh, I'm hoping to change that up and get back on the winning ways. You know, th- that is the frustrating thing, and I'll, I'll just get on my soapbox here with respect to the Bears. That, that's been the most frustrating thing about the team this season, that, you know, they're still five and four, but you look at the last couple of weeks, that Titans game, like, that was a winnable game. And the week before that with the Saints, that was a winnable game. I mean, to take that one to overtime. But you've got a Swiss cheese offensive line. Your quarterback play hasn't been good enough. But that defense, a lot of people question that eh, maybe it's not as good as it used to be. But I'll tell you what, they have kept them in some games that at times they don't look like they they don't belong. Um, For sure. But they've hung in. And and that Tennessee, when you look at that Tennessee line, I think we found out last night, Tennessee might not be that good either. So, I mean, no. that, that, loss, that loss looks even worse now. Um, I, I mentioned to you last week, and for whatever reason, I'm, we're not, I'm not the only one with this take. I just think that Trubisky gives you more. They can both throw interceptions just as well, but at least Trubisky can do it on the run. Uh, you know what? I agree. And, and when he gets back to full health, depending if the Bears are still in a tailspin, you know, would I be surprised if they go back to Mitch? He offers a little more athleticism. I would say that Foles is getting absolutely killed because he's not getting a whole lot of protection. But the reality is, is yeah, I mean, you know, the Trubisky experiment might come back into play before this season's done. Well, hey, watch listen, out for the Vikings. Watch out for the Vikings in that division, James. They're not done yet. Uh, you know what? Just because I hate the Vikes, I'm not willing to go there on that one. You know what? The pack, you know what? They've they've always you know what historically they've they've done really well against Aaron Rodgers. They've kind of had a Rod's numbers over the years, but I would still say the Pack is still the team to beat in uh, within the NFC North. You stay right. safe. You stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you again next weekend. All right. Thanks for this as always. Thanks, James. Talk to you next week. Here All right, you too. There he is, Steve Rapp, Sports Interactions Inside the Lines, Canada's odds maker, crunching the numbers and trying to get you paid. Again, Rams, Browns, Ravens. That's who he likes for his picks this weekend to try to get you paid in week number 10 of the National Football League. All right, 27 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Friday morning. James Sabolski hanging out with you solo until 7 o'clock, and then the voice of the Canucks, Brendan Bachelor, will drop on by and hang out with me from 7 to 9. And in a moment, while we all should be appreciating the honesty of one Fred Van Vliet as he gets set to hit unrestricted free agency. That's all ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
little CanCon coming up at uh, the Super Bowl as uh, three-time Grammy winner. The weekend will perform during the uh, Pepsi Super Bowl 55 halftime show. Uh, that's going down uh, February 7th in Tampa. Recently named one of the most influential people of 2020 by time. That Blinding Lights track, the Blinding Lights Challenge, that went intergalactic. You know what's funny? You look at the halftime shows in NFL history, and now they're 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 a thing, right? And they've been a thing for for a generation now. But the game changer, you got to go back to the early nineties, nineteen ninety three. That was the game changer. Michael Jackson was the first, like, okay, here we go, it's on. And the story goes that in nineteen ninety two, at the halftime show for the Super Bowl that year, Fox aired an episode of In Living Color. Remember that? You know? All the Wayans brothers, Jim Carrey, J-Lo was a dancer. They aired an episode of In Living Color at halftime, and they stole apparently a reported 22 million viewers at halftime back in 1992. And executives decided after that, uh, okay, we can't let that happen again. So what they do? They brought the, they brought in the goat. They brought in MJ. They brought in Michael Jackson. And you know, no disrespect to Gloria Estefan in '92 at the time, but you know, Michael Jackson was a serious upgrade. Gloria Estefan the year before performing with Brian Boitano and Dorothy Hamill. It was a tribute to the to the Winter Olympics. You had the 1980 Miracle on Ice team also celebrated that year. That changed the game. Michael Jackson. You look at some other favorite notable uh, performances at halftime over the years. Obviously, U2, that performance post 9-11 was pretty special. You know, selfishly speaking, I appreciated the Janet Jackson nipple slip with Justin Timberlake. That's maybe just me. Uh, Prince, pretty memorable, his performance. Bruno Mars was sensational about six years ago. That Timberlake was good a few years back. And, you know, even Beyonce as well. And, you know, honorable mention to the Black Eyed Peas who, what, six years ago performed at halftime. But in 2005, they performed the halftime show here at the Grey Cup in Vancouver at BC Place. And there were a lot of people that ripped on the league at the time for doing that. I think that was validation for the league. They were a hot, popular band at the time. Maybe people just didn't get it at the time or generation of older uh, critics didn't. But you know what? The CFL was right on that one. At the Black Eyed Peas back in 2005, and then they performed for the Super Bowl. All right, let's get into a little C-Ball says here this morning. And tell you what, the NBA is ready to roll out a new season in 40 days from now, December 22nd or less than. And things are going to hit a breakneck pace in the next couple days. you got the NBA draft next week, free agency, training camps. And while the Raptors are still trying to figure out where they'll play this upcoming season based on the challenges with that border issue presently between Canada and the U.S. I would like to say just one thing. We are closed. Yeah, 
But before the Raptors and every other NBA team tips off, they got to address their rosters. And one of the prime targets in free agency will be Fred Van Vliet. The undrafted guard out of Wichita State is somewhat of a rags-to-riches story similar to the one that we love here in Metro Vancouver. Alex Burrows, you know, the Dragon Slayer. Burrows steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Okay, that was just an excuse to play that call from Shorty there. Who doesn't like it, especially on a Friday, right? Now, Van Vliet didn't play at a heavyweight school. He joined the Raptors as a long-shot free agent signing and evolved into a critical piece of a championship team in 2019. Van Vliet throws it up. Oh, he puts it in! A rainbow from Van Vliet! Van Vliet, bang! Fred Van Vliet from downtown, and the Raptors lead by one. Van Vliet, that's a deep one. He got it! Oh, feeling good, Fred Van Vliet! Who could forget the bloody eye in the finals, a chipped tooth on how he played on? Now the 6-1 guard has reached the point where he's due for a raise. Teams will value that title experience. His three-point shooting. His defensive tenacity. Now the 26-year-old recently appeared on the Old Man and the Three podcast, and you know what? He didn't beat around the bush as to what's important this offseason. I'm trying to get paid, man. I'm not I'm not shy about that. Um I I don't have to to tell people that I value winning. Like just look at my story, do your research. I've never been on a losing team in my entire life. That's what I'm about. And and that's just what it is. So I won a championship and now it's time to to cash out on twenty six. I feel like I'm 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 only four years in, but I feel like I'm on the verge of, of blossoming even more um, with more of a lead role and just taking more responsibility in my game. So all of those things factor into it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not purely numbers, but the numbers do play a big part. And I just want to feel my value reciprocated from the other end. And teams can tell you that value all they want to. But until they show you with numbers, then then you know what that means. Ah, honesty. Hey, I'm trying to get paid. You know, teams can tell you they like you, but the numbers will really tell you how much they really like you. What a refreshing thing to hear. I mean, how many times do we hear about fit for family, chance to win, blah, 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 blah. This is a guy in his mid-20s who has a shot at getting a home run contract and setting himself up for life. I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? Now, for Masai Ujiri and every other GM trying to figure out what works for Fred Van Vliet, I mean, they sure don't have to think like this. Don't leave me hanging by a thread. Let me know where I stand. Yeah, I mean, some people might think that this sounds greedy, but... You know who else likes getting paid out there? Everybody. Canadian hoops icon Steve Nash and now Brooklyn Nets head coach admitted back in 2014 why he didn't want to retire as he battled leg and back injuries when he said, quote, the reality is I'm not going to retire because I want the money, end quote. There's no beating around the bush here. FVV wants his piece of the pie. Just like BC Lions quarterback Mike Riley wants his money that was promised to him from the Leos this year. Some might say it's a bad look. I say it's transparency. I'm sorry if this sounds weird, but I'm just being honest. Van Vliet's comments should be welcomed because, you know what, almost all of us would feel the same way. He wants to get 
paid. 650-650 is our Dunbar Lumber text line. Feel free to chime in whenever you want. I'm already taking heat this morning for my power rankings, if you will, or my ratings or rankings of the Canadian division in the event that it's looking more and more like it will happen. Brandon from Poco, your Canadian team's power rankings is out to lunch, putting the Canucks at six. They're actually five on my list, but got them ahead of the Jets at least, and the Senators, so it's not nothing. At Sportsnet 650 is where you can also chime in and uh, hit us up as well. should check in on the Masters as our Masters coverage is brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses. The view is better from here, and right now you've got Paul Casey, who was just brilliant yesterday, sitting atop the leaderboard at 7-under, and Dylan Fratelli is also tied atop that leaderboard. Finishing up his opening round, he's also tied at 7-under as some guys are out there finishing up their opening round today because of the weather delay from yesterday. So a lot of familiar names up there near the top. Justin Thomas, minus 6. DJ, minus 6. You got Justin Rose at minus five. And then you got Tiger Woods. There's Tiger shooting a 68 yesterday. He's at minus four. Nice start for Tiger. Bogey-free round. And I do wonder this. Like this, this. This makes the casual golf fans sit up and take notice, right? All of a sudden, oh, Tiger's in here. Okay. I mean, think about the momentum. If Tiger's still in contention come to this weekend, man. Boy, is that is that the win that we need in 2020? Might take it, right? And I and I wonder as he becomes more and more of a unicorn on the golf course these days. He doesn't play a whole lot. Does he become the Rafael Nadal of golf? No, you know, Rafa is the clay court specialist when it comes to tennis, winning all those French Opens. Does Tiger become the Augusta specialist? Right, setting himself up to chase a major at Augusta. Each year for the next few years. He's got five, right? He's got five green jackets. He needs one more to match Jack. Is it conceivable? I guess they should see if he can get through the cut first here on Friday before we go down that road. But tell you what, guy knows this course. It's been good to him. It's been good to us 15 years ago in your life. A lot of moments with Tiger and Augusta National. All right, 643. We're going to crunch the numbers, play Stat Me Up in just a quick moment. And then Brendan Batchelor, hang out for the next two hours. The voice of the Canucks right here on Sportsnet 650. Grab your calculators because it's time to Stat Me Up on the starting lineup. Here's James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, and the million-dollar man, Scott Brown. All right, 12 minutes to 7 o'clock. Let's get him in from Fifth Avenue Real Estate and Marketing, Mr. Scott Brown, downtown Scotty Brown. Happy Friday. How are you, brother? I'm, How are I'm you good. doing with the solo act? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, I, I've, I've generally been told that I can talk the paint off a wall, and I feel like I'm living up to that through the first 48 minutes of this hour uh, on this miserable Friday morning. What do you got for a number for us this morning, sir? 
Well, let's start with the number one. As we take a look at the final results from the 79th Masters, Jordan Spieth concludes with 70, 18 under par. You know, I think we should all have a narrator like that one day who just follows around everything we do. He's over at the pump. He's got the unleaded. Oh, well, it's nicely done. Uh, so round one of the Masters. It's not over. I thought it was going to be over. Uh, we've got Paul Casey flirting around with the lead. Probably some manual counting. It isn't Georgia. They do like to recount manual count, just like an election. So I did a bit of digging in, though, because I was curious. Okay, so what happens when you win the first round? I was surprised. Since 2010, the first-round leader, so on this, when Casey hears this with his headset, he's going to miss a putt. Uh, the first-round leader has only won once. Jordan Spieth, back in 2015. He was also the first-round leader a year prior and two years after, but he still only has one green jacket. But only one time in the last 10 years has the first-round leader actually gone on to win the tournament. It's not how you start, but how you finish, right? Definitely at Augusta, because I imagine that first round, they gear it up each day. Like yesterday, it looked pretty wet. So there was a lot of shots and landing. It looked like Augusta was somewhere else, just like a green screen. Mm -hmm. But I imagine they'll figure out how to make it more difficult through the weekend. That's why Tiger wears red on Sundays. He doesn't yeah. wear red on Thursdays there, Scotty. Yeah, um, exactly. My number this morning, it's 22. Just another selfish excuse for me to uh, to play uh, a scene from my favorite movie, Braveheart. But Scotland almost blew it. They almost did it, allowing a goal in the 90th minute against Serbia. But what happens? They pick up a huge win in the penalty shootout and qualify for Euro 2020 to reach its first major tournament in 22 freaking years. I guess technically 23 because they won't actually play until next year. But this also sets up a dream matchup at Wembley Stadium in England next summer at Euro, renewing the oldest rivalry in international footy. Scotland's back, baby. Shout out to Haggis for everybody this morning there, Scott. You might have to pull off So I Married an Axe Murderer from Netflix then and watch that a little bit and get brushed up on your Scottish. Yes, and, and as Mike Myers once reminded us all in, in Saturday Night Live, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. What do you got for a real estate number here this morning? Well, in our real estate market, uh, as much as the COVID numbers are going up, uh, we don't have a piper down yet. Uh, we've got a real estate, is, <laughs> real estate number 6,923. So we've been talking a lot about resales and how they're up. And they've been up year over year and it's surprising recovery. So we just put out our 39th edition of a report we call the Fifth Dimension. So I've been writing it for about a decade with our team and our part data partners at Urban Analytics. And so that's on our website, fifthav.ca. It's free to the public, your realtors, you know, developers, whatever, go have a look. It's kind of like a USA Today story on each little market that makes up our whole neighborhood. But anyway, sales were in the recent 90-day period. Uh, they were 6,923. They're up 65% compared to the same time last year, so in a non-COVID year. So that recovery from the March number, which was one of the lowest quarters, March to June was one of the lowest quarters probably in the last easily the decade. So we're back to kind of, you know, a 3,000-plus sales quarter. Um, 
go figure. And then the year-to-date total, that's the 6,023. It actually is, you know, pretty much in line with the last couple of years. So we do expect, you know, that recovery. I think the one thing we are watching is a number of us have sort of said, okay, we're not open houses like realtors are, but we are retailers. But our presentation centers, don't be surprised if you go, and we've been doing this for a while. You know, we got hand sanitizer. Our teams wear masks. We're being really careful with COVID. Uh, if the numbers do get worse, I wouldn't be surprised if we and others move sometime into the next week or two, just into a bit more of a restricted kind of by appointment mode. Um, I do think that the COVID numbers going up will probably bring a little bit earlier that kind of December chill I expected in the market. Not a crash, but just a, a bit of a pause before we get into 2021. You know, it's funny, Scott. You know, you look at the year that it's been, and here we are on Friday the 13th as well. And you look at it and who would have thought, who would have predicted that when this pandemic started, the most important things for people to purchase were toilet paper, flour, hand sanitizer, and homes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, it really feels like four years. (laughs) Each quarter feels like a year. Okay. That was good. Oh, what was that? Oh, this is terrible. Maybe we're okay. We're really okay. Okay, Christmas. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I think the, I think the lights are going up sooner rather than later here. Yeah, at the Sabalski there household. would be. I think the mood. There'd be interesting t- statistic. I was doing it just in our own team, trying to encourage people to take a break because um, I haven't taken much time off this year. Just trying to be around for the staff and the clients in case something happens. I wonder how many people in corporations with vacations that reset on January first have not taken their full allotment of vacation. I bet it's a record this year because there was not necessarily anywhere to go and concerns about job loss. Uh, so I bet we'll see a bunch of people just going nowhere in December but staying home. I, I'm amazed at how many people I've seen that took this week off. Of, like, yeah. you know, like in the middle of November as well. So, uh, Other than Perry's you, idea of a week off, which is to well, get Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a whole different element here that we wish uh, Perry's uh, in the on-deck circle uh, for a surgery here in about an hour from now. So, hey, stay safe, and uh, we'll do this again next weekend, okay? Have a great week, man. You Take as care. well. All right, Scotty. There he is, Scott Brown from Fifth Avenue Real Estate and Marketing, playing Stat Me Up this morning here on Sportsnet 650. All right, buckle up. Batch is ready to unlock the hatch. Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, is going to drop by and hang out for the next couple hours. We'll talk lots of hockey. We'll also be joined by Stephen Ames. Talk a little Masters as well. That's all coming up next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. This one's blocked. And return for the touchdown. Carey gets the touchdown after the block by Eagley. These guys are here to break it all down. I did everything well today. I drove well, hit my irons well, and putted well. Uh, the only you know real bad shot I hit today was at eight. You know I had a, had a perfect number with a six-degree sandwich. And I hit on the wrong shelf. Uh, other than that, I did, did everything well. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Who do you think you are? I am. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. 7 o'clock. What's happening, everybody? Uh, James Sabalski here, Perry Solkowski off today. He'll be back at it on Monday. And a reminder that this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbuta Street in Vancouver, or check them out online 
at Dunbar Lumber. Com. Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, kicking it with us here for the next couple of hours. Batch, I'm, I'm guessing you probably never get tired of somebody introducing you as the voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it was my uh, dream as a, a kid to do what I'm doing now. So, yeah, it's it's always pretty cool to hear that. But good to be with you, James. Excited uh, for, for a good couple of hours here. And uh, let's get it going. And your dream to call games from a TV monitor, too, is how you wanted to get into yes. the business. Right? Oh, yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly where I thought I would be in 2020 is calling a playoff overtime winner from a studio in Vancouver with a game being played in Edmonton with no fans in the stands <laughs> during an international pandemic. When I was five years old, that was my dream. That was the dream. That was the dream with a, with a mask and a bottle of sanitizer between you and Hershey and uh, and to be working with me on a Friday the 13th. Um, Stephen Ames is going to join us here in just a couple of moments. But, you know, while we've got a couple of minutes, uh, the NHL uh, holding their Board of Governors meeting yesterday batch and, you know, nothing set in stone just yet. But, you know, I think you certainly get a sense that we're going to see an all-Canadian division we're going to see uh, teams probably in all likelihood playing in their own barns, and they want to trail, still try to get up on uh, up and running by January 1st to kind of leave that room for any sort of speed bumps because at some point somebody's going to test positive, right, like this time around. But it's, it's the fans in the stands that you kind of wonder, like, how do you pull this off? Because the Warriors certainly had something to kind of give us something to chew on this morning. Yeah, it, it... January 1st still feels ambitious to me just because, you know, we're already into the month of November. They don't know what they're going to do with the schedule. They don't know if they're going to play in hubs or if they're going to have teams in their home arenas. I know the preference for ownership would be home arenas because maybe you can get some fans in. But with the COVID numbers spiking all across the United States, you know, I believe that every single state right now is seeing an increase in their COVID numbers. Um, you know, we've got increased restrictions here in Vancouver in the lower mainland. We've seen increased restrictions in Manitoba, um, whereby, you know, if the Winnipeg Jets were required to start training camp right now, I don't think they would even be able to because of the lockdown they've got in Manitoba. So, you know, with all of those factors coming in and, you know, us entering winter where it's, you know, less likely, especially in other areas of Canada where the weather is a lot worse than it is here, less likely that people are going to be able to gather outdoors. People coming indoors is a recipe for disaster when it comes to, to COVID. And, and you know, it's why we need to be so careful right now here in Vancouver in terms of gatherings. But you know, this is going to have an impact on on sports. It's going to have an impact on all elements of life. And that's why the Warriors thing is so interesting, because if that's something that they can do and do effectively, it could change the game for sports in general across the board, across the world during this pandemic, uh, just because of the fact that if you can get fans into the stands with a rapid, effective test, then, you know, obviously it's not the same as a vaccine because people are still going to get it and they're still, you know, they're still going to suffer from COVID and, and, and that's still going to be a problem in our world. But in terms of actually getting people into the seats and having these teams and owners generate money, that could be a, a huge game changer. You know, let me ask you this, though. This is going to cost, according to reports, it's going to cost the Warriors $30 million. Thirty million 
So with that thought in mind, do you not think that it seems, it seems a little, a little ambitious, ambitious for, for NHL, NHL teams to foot the bill on that going forward? Well, it, it, I mean, it depends on the individual market. It depends how much money you're going to make from having fans in the stands, right? Like if, if you're a team that, let's say, I don't know, let's say it's a 70-game season sure. just for for – benefit of so argument 35 so you get 35 home, home games yeah. are you going to generate more than 30 million dollars from 35 home games like I, i'm not an expert of the economics if it's 50 percent capacity probably not but you know what maybe if you you know put in all the concessions and and everything else that's something that these owners would have to decide based on the profit margins they're able to generate or if you take a small loss is it still worth it to get people into your building, to get people exposed to your product for the long term. That's something that each individual team would have to explore depending on the economic situations in their market and the number of fans they'd be able to get in based on regional restrictions. Like I tend to believe here in Vancouver, even with a test like that, based on what we've seen from Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix, the chances of them allowing you to have 50% capacity in Rogers arena in any scenario are slim to none. So it maybe doesn't make sense here as much as it might in other areas in the U S. So, so just to kind of play with the numbers here for a second, you've got the, if you say 10,000 seats at the average ticket price of a hundred bucks as an average, then You'd be looking at 10,000 paying customers at an average of $100. That's a million dollars, right? Then you factor in your concessions as well. So I guess it's conceivable, but uh, we'll continue this conversation coming up at the bottom of the hour. But, hey, you know what? As we have a void in sports right now, man, it was such a welcome sight to see Augusta National back up and running, open for business again yesterday after round number one, round number two underway. And uh, who better to talk about, Augusta, is a guy who's actually lived it and breathed it. A bucket list for some. Uh, yeah, been there, done that. Uh, our guest at this time, Stephen Ames, who joins us here this morning. Stephen, good morning, sir. Morning. How are you guys? I'm, I'm excellent, thank you. It's nice to be able to watch some live sports here again after uh, kind of seeing this kind of play out uh, with Augusta back there. I mean, does it conjure up good memories for you when, when, when you see the golf course? Um, it's got, uh, yeah, it does actually. A lot of good memories, especially with the rain too, which is kind of funny because <laughs> it's in April, so in April at times, as we've, we've watched before, it, uh, it has rained quite a few times and the, the memory of the smell that they, the stuff that they throw on the ground for the patrons to walk around, around the greens and in between tea boxes, the smell is quite stench. well and and let's start there Stephen, with the patrons or lack thereof how different will that be for the guys playing augusta this week we heard tiger talk about it a bit yesterday you know paul casey said he definitely felt a lack of energy on the golf course Uh, i imagine it you know is is down to the individual some guys will feel less pressure with the patrons there you know, some guys will, will think it's weird because it's quiet. How do you think these guys are dealing with that this week? Uh, um, definitely, the I would say that the veterans are probably going to see a difference um, because they're accustomed to, to hearing the roars when somebody's made an eagle or a hole-in-one. 
And but for the younger guys, I think it's going to be less pressure, which is nice. And you know, funny looking at the leaderboard there, you got a couple of guys that have never been up there that are playing well, so they've probably never experienced the roars and the excitement that the patrons bring to the event. And uh, that is definitely the 15th club in some guy, some veterans' bags too. Stephen Ames with us here on uh, Sportsnet 650, and, and you know, and that's that's the funny thing I've found about this year in sports, Stephen, where. You know, I, I always I, I liken it to there's an expression a bright lights player. You know, guys who seem to play big in big moments, you know, the brighter the the bigger the pressure, you know, the crowd and, and some people feed off that energy where some guys absolutely kinda wilt in that sort of pressure. Is this type of a year where somebody that, that may not necessarily have that mental strength when nailing that putt in front of forty thousand people this might be more conducive to their style of game with very few people watching. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially the younger guys, I think, who've never, who don't have the experience of playing in those kind of things. I mean, that is, that is part of the, I guess, in, in all respects, all sports. You know, when you're playing in front of big crowds and all that, that, that's something that you have to learn to adjust to. And over time, you get used to it. You know how to handle your situation, which is under the pressure with the crowd going. And, of course, with the veterans, they use the crowds. I can think of an example. Jimmy Connors, as an example, playing tennis with those people at a U.S. Open, getting them all riled up and going and uh, using them as a booster for him to get yeah. his game up. So, yeah, you know, it completely goes hand in hand, without a doubt. Stephen Ames with us here on the starting lineup. And, you know, another interesting factor of not having patrons is Tiger Woods was talking yesterday saying, you know, we had to ask the camera guys where our ball went sometimes. So you don't have that much help on the golf course. And and we saw everyone rooting around for Bryson DeChambeau's ball yesterday, too. What did you make of of his day and the struggles he underwent? But at the same time, you know, when the round is over, he shoots a two under 70. Yeah, no, it's, 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 he's a he's a unique uh, individual, as we all know. Um, I think uh, for him, it's uh, I think when all the buttons have uh, been pushed in the right direction, that uh, he he could be unstoppable, bringing that golf course to its knees. Uh, but like I said, it's golf, it's competition golf, and we all change as individuals when the bell starts to ring, and uh, I think. Uh, he proved that well at the U.S. Open. Masters, have, today's going to be an interesting day to see how he gets out the blocks. Um, but yesterday, obviously, he didn't take advantage. 13 is which cost him with a double there. So I think I mean, if he gets, gets around those, because he is right, I think 67 is par for him. Because he can get up on all par fives very easily. But some guys are struggling. They're hitting drivers three woods and still getting a lob wedge in there. And he's, he's flying it on the green, no problem with any club. So, yeah, I think with, if everything works for him, he could probably uh, tear the golf course apart, especially as soft as it is right now. Should we be uh, should we be done with being surprised by what Tiger's doing? I mean, four under yesterday? No. no. Uh, not at all, no. Um, you know, his swing is probably the best it's ever been in a while. Uh, his his problem is always at coming down to the end now is his body is how long is it going to last the game? How much longer is it going to last? Showcase not as sharp, putting's not as sharp, or it's not as youthful as it used to be. But um, I think mentally, he's still probably one of the strongest out there playing the game.
I mean, you had, you had some pretty good head-to-head battles with him going back uh, a few years ago. But uh, to, to give me a sense, like from from your like when you talk about the body and, and being able to hold up. I mean, obviously we know about the the physicality, but you know, even even from your standpoint now playing on the Champions Tour, give me a sense of how like what round like that final round feels like, you know, physically comparatively to when you know you're looking at somebody like say Spieth or or you know DJ or somebody in the in the in the prime of their life as opposed to now you're in your you're in your mid 40s now or even into your 50s for that matter I think it's physically I think it's more mental than anything else that really takes the the toll out on you and uh, if you're not used to being up there and learning how to cope with it and then waiting for the down to come for some guys, it's instant down. For other guys, it takes a couple of days, if not a whole week, to come down. And Tiger's definitely one of those guys because he rarely plays the week after a major and he rarely plays the week before a major. So it's basically throwing everything in that one week. And I'm sure it takes him probably five or six days to come down from the high and from the physical and mental, emotional emotions that you have when you're playing in that situation. Um, me personally, it's the same thing. I cannot play a week after a major. It's just so mentally exhausting and physically it ends up being. You don't realize it until you actually sit down and relax a little bit and you're like, wow, everything hurts on me. Um, it's the same with the hockey players. I don't know how they do it going from one night to another night. Uh, it takes a toll on your body, big time. Uh, and as we get older, it's harder to do, it's harder to recoup, and, uh, and it takes you longer to get ready for the next event. Well, and you talk about the the mental side of things too. You know, this this tournament's being played in November this year, so things are different. We saw the three hour weather delay yesterday. We don't know what the weekend's going to bring in terms of you know potentially having more delays. How challenging would that be? You know, particularly for someone that say yesterday was in the middle of their round, and you know you have to come off the golf course and then come back today and and finish your round. Is that something that would be a mental challenge for some of these guys with you know, obviously unique circumstances here at the Masters in 2020? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I think the guy who's playing poorly and has to play another 18 holes in the afternoon, that's going to be a mental challenge. But for the guy who's like Vitaly and Dustin Johnson just finished at 7-under, they're both going, all right, I'm running on a high, literally. And the adrenaline is, is rolling in, and they're like, yeah, I can handle another 18 holes very easily. Uh, the toll will come out at the end of the week when they actually come down a little bit. Then they'll start feeling the drain from their bodies. But, yeah, it's harder. For sure, it's harder. And with the situation, in some circumstances, like most of the year, we've all, all of us have had long delays. And uh, we've played a lot of events where we played 36 holes in one day trying to finish the event. So, yeah, it's a big toll on us, for sure. I've never, I've never seen the, I've never understood that when I talk to a buddy and say, ah, playing 36 holes, like that doesn't sound fun. No. Uh, <laughs> hey, Steven, tell yeah, me this he's before. He's 36 holes in a cart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. He's not walking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pick us a winner here this week. I mean, there's uh, three days to go here and uh, give us a sense of who you think might walk away with the green um, jacket this year. Well, I had the shambo in my pool. I've got, the, the, got Justin in my pool. And I've got DJ in my pool as well. And funny enough, Tiger was my last pick. So oh. I've got some players up there. <laughs> there you go. Oh, no, you can't You can't take Lee, Lee Tiger out of Augusta. Uh, no way. 
Fair enough. Um, I love the fact. I love the fact that you're in a golf pool as well. I think everybody listening right now appreciates that. Uh, Stephen, it is so nice to catch up with you. Uh, now I, I now consider you an honorary Vancouverite. The fact that you married a Tawasan girl. So uh, give my best to Kelly and uh, stay safe out there. Okay. Thanks. Same to you guys. Enjoy. Uh, all right, thank you. There Thanks, he is. David. Stephen Ames uh, weighing in with his thoughts at Augusta. Love that, man. There's a pro golfer who's got a golf pool going right now as well for Augusta, right? Like, batch, like he's one of us. No, exactly, and and especially in 2020, where as you were, you know, talking about off the top, it's been kind of quiet in the sports world, other than the NFL here for the last few weeks since, you know, baseball and basketball and hockey all wrapped up. So it's nice to hear that the the former pros are, are just as fired up about the Masters as the rest of us are. How many hockey players play hockey pools? That's I wonder that question. That's a good right. one, because I'm sure there are guys that that do that. But maybe more after their career. Right. Like if yep. once you've retired, then you can then you can be in a hockey pool. But, you know, I would imagine that, say, hypothetically, a guy like Bo Horvat plays in a hockey pool. Well, he's going to have a lot of self-belief, so he's going to want to draft himself, and he's going to have a lot of belief in his team. So, like, if you play a former NHL or, or a current NHL or in a hockey pool, I should say, you know, does Bo, Bo Horvat just have all Canucks on his <laughs> roster because he's so fired up that this is the year? Or uh, or does he have more perspective than that, maybe, to, to draft some of the top players in the league elsewhere? Yeah, good point. Uh, all right, uh, a reminder, our, uh, our golf coverage and our Masters coverage is a presentation of Maui Jim Sunglasses. The view is better from here. All right, 20 minutes after 7 o'clock, uh, joining us from just down the hall, uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130, who was also, I believe, a Webster Award nominee. <laughs> Aslam, the yeah. kudos keep coming. Thank Congrats. You. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's, uh, it's neat. Back-to-back nom- nominations. So. Yeah, you know, you know what's better than being nominated winning yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> i know and everyone's like oh it's such an honor and you're like it is it really is but you know what else is an honor winning yeah winning oh my god i'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys the story quickly but uh about 10 years ago uh i got nominated the first time for gemini award uh for reporting and uh rod smith who had worked with a tsn he was nominated for Outstanding Play-By-Play, and that was for our Olympic coverage. And we were so excited, right? You were nominated, but you're also like, you're happy to be nominated, but you, you want to win, right? And and so we go to the Gemini Awards, we're all dressed up, and the event starts, and the room is packed, and like the first two awards are like, you know, all right, first up, we're going to go Outstanding Play-By-Play and Outstanding Sports Reporting, and congratulations to Chris Cuthbert and Darren Drager. And, like, the event <laughs> is, like, 90 <laughs> seconds old, and Rod and I are looking at each other like, we got to hang out here for three more friggin' hours? Let's go get drunk at the back. Like, this sucks. The best is when you know that someone's visibly angry, and then someone looks over, and you're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's but fine. Really, it's yeah. not. Do you no. have any Quaaludes? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, hopefully All right. well for us. Uh, do you got a vaccine for us? What do you got this morning? Do I have a what for you guys? A vaccine. A vaccine. I thought you said yeah. a backseat. Um, a oh, vaccine. No. What? <laughs> I don't Where know. Where did that come from? By the way, hi, Batch. It's been a while. Um, hey, yeah. Hey, Good yeah. to talk with you. I know. Uh, no, I don't have a vaccine, unfortunately. Uh, it's being worked on. It's coming. It will be here next year, early next year. But no, we don't have a vaccine, unfortunately. But what we do have is really high cases of COVID-19 because this province is out of control. Happy Friday. <laughs> it's the 13th. 
It is Friday the 13th. So what's Dr. Bonnie saying now? This is this is people misbehaving at home? This is this is the same stuff. I almost said crap. I'll say it. This is the same crap we've been talking about for weeks, which is gatherings, private gatherings at people's homes, predominantly in the Fraser Health region and in the Vancouver Coastal Health region, more so in the Fraser Health region because Surrey has the most cases. And Surrey, is, and I don't mean most, meaning like, oh, there are only 100 more than Vancouver. No, Surrey's seeing more than 2,000 cases in just the last couple of weeks, whereas the next closest city in this region is Vancouver at about 600. Like, the difference is not even, like, it's just, it's so bad. It's so bad. And now Dr. Bonnie Henry is also admitting that South Asian people, uh, more than others, are being highly infected. So everyone can put two and two together. Um, and it's just, it's so, where, where we are right now is essentially that cases in this province, and I really hope people hear this and really listen to what I'm saying, they are doubling every 13 days. So if we stay on the trend we are on right now, BC is going to start to hit 1,000 cases a day, if not more, in the next three weeks. Ugh. Like by December, well, we'll be 1,000 a day. Well, and and, you know, we have to, think about how this is going to have, you know, longer term impacts in terms of, you know, initially all these restrictions that the province has put in place. They said, oh, it's a two week thing. But if these numbers don't get better, you know, when we hit November 23rd, the restrictions are going to get worse, not better. Things are going to be more restrictive, not less. And so, you know, it, we say it so much and 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 you're right, Sonia, that, you know, we all have to individually do our part here. It's it's not you know, it's not, oh, everyone else is, is, you know, they have to stay home, but I can go and hang out with my friends because nothing's going to happen to me. That's not the case at all. It's, it's, it's somewhere or something where we all have to chip in here and, and make sure that we turn the curve uh, back in the right direction. No, for sure. And thinking that, oh, well, you can't do this, but I can is frankly quite ignorant. And we don't need that right now. This is completely out of control. This is the worst we've ever seen it. It is not getting better. The number of people in the hospital is really high. And Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix, who's the health minute minister, has always said, we won't go back into a full lockdown if the hospitals in this province can manage numbers. Right now, they're having a hard time. And that doesn't mean we don't have capacity. We have capacity and we have a backup plan if we ever hit that capacity. That's not the point. We need equipment. We need to not burn out frontline healthcare workers and first responders. Like this is more than just um, I have a virus. I don't. There, the, the, the fallout and the consequences, and I hate this term, but peeling the onion of this virus is it impacts everyone. How could you be so selfish and how could you be so stupid to hold a big party in your backyard because, I don't know, you're bored or you think it's okay? It's not okay. This is not okay. And the longer this behavior goes on and people continue to break the rules, like not social distancing, not washing hands, not wearing a mask whenever they need to, it's like we're only going to drag this on longer and longer. We know we are able to bend that curve because we used to be at a really low case rate and now it's exploded. And it is like saying it's out of control to me is also just now an understatement. And I, you know, Seabal, I know we talked about this this week and last week. And um, it's like I feel like a broken record. And I think Dr. Bonnie Henry probably does, too. We keep saying the same things. But right now we're at such a critical juncture where this has to get better now. And as you said, Batch, otherwise the consequences in the long run are going to be so much worse. 
No, I, uh, 100%. I think a, a real big test, obviously, for this region this weekend. It's Diwali, uh, Festival of Lights, um, and... You know, you've got Christmas looming as well. Yep. I think it was a lot easier in the summer for people to get outside mm -hmm. and hang out. Obviously, you know, you look at today, it's miserable out there. Um, but you look at the numbers that are spiking, you look at that 20 to 30, 30 to 39. Um, that's where we're seeing the spikes and we got to tighten up. Uh, here's hoping that better days are ahead. But you're right, Sonia. It's, you know, alarming numbers when you see that we're basically doubling our numbers every 13 days. So Yeah, and I, I will say yeah. just really quickly, like I know that there's the physical aspect of this virus, which is incredibly important. There's also the mental health aspect of this virus. Yeah. I understand mm -hmm. everyone is really struggling. I am in the exact same boat. This is not easy, and I get it, and I sympathize with everyone. I know you guys do too. But please, if you are able to just stay home, to keep your bubble small, to reach out via, you know, video chat, FaceTime, whatever, do that instead. I know it sucks, but this is going to suck so much longer if we keep going out and breaking the rules and not paying attention. So, yes, physical aspect, but mental health aspect is important as well. And if you need the help, please get it and please say something. Thanks, Aslam. Stay safe out there and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks, boys. There he is. Thanks, there Sonia. Uh, Sonia Asim from News 1130, uh, painting a real rosy picture for all of us here on this Friday <laughs> the 13th. All right, 28 minutes after 7 o'clock. He's Brandon Batchelor. I'm James Sabalski. We'll dive into much more on the uh, future of the National Hockey League and when they get set to try to resume play. We'll do that next right here on Sportsnet 650. More of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 7.33 here on this Friday morning, Friday the 13th. It's a wet one out there. Uh, James Sabolski, Brendan Bachelor in for Perry Solkowski, hanging out with you until 9 o'clock this morning. A reminder this hour, presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner, Arbutus Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at Dunbar Lumber. Com. Batch, in the 8 o'clock hour at our Canucks commute coming up at the top of the clock, I want to talk to you a little bit about all the speculation, uh, the the reverse, the retro reverse jerseys that the NHL is going to drop on Monday. It's been a lot of speculation what the Canucks are going to do. Um, man, I, I hope they get it right. I, I'm I'm getting nervous that they're going to go with that two-tone maroon and blue jersey. It's like that was a, just a total miss in the early 2000s from the West Coast Express era. I hope they don't screw that up. Well, it, it looks like they are going that direction. Oh. If you've seen, you know, kind of the teaser they put out yesterday. And, uh, you know, I like it, right? I, I like that two-tone jersey. Maybe it was, you know, th there's some nostalgia there for me a little bit. With with that that group that obviously um, you know the West Coast Express era and and you know I was I guess early high school around that time so that was you know a very exciting time to be a Canuck fan and you know if you've seen some of the mock-ups that people have done online and you can find them on Twitter if you go and look you know if it if it really is that jersey but it's the blue and green it looks a lot sharper than than the one from from, you know, I guess what, 20 years ago now did. So I, I think they have a chance to knock it out of the park with this jersey. It's not necessarily where I would have gone if somebody came to me and said, what are you going to do for the Canucks reverse retro jersey? I wouldn't have immediately thought, oh, yeah, let's go with the gradient jersey. 
But um, but that said, I think it has a chance to be a pretty sharp looking jersey. So I'm excited to see uh, what it actually looks like when when they reveal it here. So we threw this out as our poll question at Sportsnet 650. What would you like to see from the Canucks reverse retro jersey? Would you like to see a black orca, a black stick, the green and blue version of the flying skate, or maybe the green and blue flying V? Right now, 42% say a green and blue flying skate would be their top choice. 23% a green and blue flying V. 22% black stick, and then uh, only 13% having love for the idea of a black orca. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit more coming up at the top of the clock, uh, you and I and, and on, on the Canucks Commute at 8, but uh, you can hit us up on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 or at, six, uh, at Sportsnet 650 on Twitter. But uh, the story over the last 24 hours, Batch, around the hockey world, uh, the latest Board of Governors meeting, uh, no news just yet outside in terms of clear concrete when the NHL resumes, but it does look more and more like we're going to see an all-Canadian division, and it's looking more and more like we're going to see NHL teams playing in their own arenas. And, you know, that kind of seems to make sense. I, I think my my understanding was that people were just done with the bubbles and the hubs. Here's what Elliot Friedman had to say this morning on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan, in terms of when the NHL wants to drop the puck on this season. They really want to try to start January 1st, and, and here's why. And one of the things they learned from MLB and the NFL, who did not play in, in tight bubbles, is that you're going to get hiccups thrown your way. We saw games canceled in, in baseball. We've seen games canceled in football. The more runway you give yourself, the more of an opportunity you get to handle those speed bumps. And, you know, if you start, the later you start, the less flexibility you give yourself. So I don't know if it's going to happen January 1st. I mean, look, the COVID numbers are going up, and, and even that could wreak havoc on, you know, training camps and things like that over the next few weeks. But... Uh, I think they want to start as early as possible. Um, I don't know if it's going to be possible, but they're going to try. Um, I definitely believe, and it's been going this way for about a week now, that they want it to be in their own ranks and not in hubs. Um, you know, there's the things with hubs is costs are a little bit higher. Um, the, uh, you know, the 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 things like the naming rights on their own arenas. I've heard some companies who have naming rights are saying, look, our naming rights are losing value because there's no events being held in these buildings. So if you get your building on TV, you know, Scotiabank arena hosting a game, at least you get your mentions out there. I think that's an issue. Um, and also if you play in hubs, there's going to be some bad TV times. They, I don't think they want that. I think they want their, their TV times as close to prime time in their own markets as they can get it. So, I think all of these things is leading us to take us to a place where um, you play in your own arena if you can. So there's Elliot Friedman this morning. So January 1st is still kind of the tentative save the date. Um, but I'll tell you what, Batch, like that's going to come quick. Like you're talking and training camps would be up and running by December 15th in theory. And, and then there's the whole, well, you know, the players like having their Christmases off. Like, what does that look like? Can you just simply celebrate Christmas, you know, in the city where you are employed? Or what does that look like? 
Yeah, I believe the players have to have three days off at Christmas per the, the CBA, the 24th, 25th, 26th. Uh, and the reason I know that is because there was a Canuck game on the 27th where normally uh, you would fly out the day before. Uh, and this, I guess, was a couple of years ago where, you know, the team flew out at 7 a.m. on the 27th uh, to Edmonton and had a morning skate in Edmonton before playing a game. So, um, you know, obviously with with the season starting up, around that time potentially rather than uh, being right in the swing of things, you know, that's going to have an impact here. You know, as much as they continue to say January 1st is what they want to do, I'll see it when I believe it because you're right. You know, we're a month out from training camp if they're able to do that, you know, you know, it's what November 13th today, right? So it's a month this weekend that you would be looking at training camp starting. That means you have to get all of these guys back to their home markets. In many cases, it means guys have to quarantine for two weeks. Certainly that would be the case here in Vancouver and for the other Canadian teams. So, you know, I understand, you know, Elliot's point where he was talking there about, you know, you want a longer runway because you're going to have games canceled, but at the same time, you don't want to rush things too quickly either, especially with COVID numbers spiking everywhere, because that's something we saw that really worked for the NHL in their return to play in the postseason last year was they waited, they took their time. By the time they made decisions on hubs, you know, we had all been hearing for weeks that Las Vegas was a shoe in to be a hub. And in the end, they brought both of them to Canada because they waited and were patient and made the correct decision. So, uh, you know, as much as I want to see hockey back as soon as possible, like everybody else listening, you know, there is a danger to trying to rush things and and put a square peg into a round hole when it comes to getting this season back underway safely and effectively. Yeah, and that's like you you look at how things play out. Like, give me a sense right now how many Canucks are, are here in town. Like, there's a few guys. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't Kelowna, get a sense think, it's a I lot think, of them. Yeah, like I mean, handful. I think Petey's here. I, I get a sense that, but, you know, I think Bo Horvat kind of went back east to go play dad back in, in southern Ontario. and Brock Besser's right. like, in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, like, you look at Quinn Hughes went, went back across the border. Like, how many of those guys that, you know, you're coming back, you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks. So, you know, it's if you're trying to get camps up and running in a month from now, I mean, there's obviously time, but there is going to be a sense of urgency if you have to factor in 14 days for, you know, half the team. And then there's also the factor of think about the teams that haven't played since March, right? Think about the teams like the Ottawa Senators, the San Jose Sharks, the LA Kings, you know, teams that didn't get a chance to play in those play-in series batch. Like that's a long time to go between games. Yeah, and it sounds like those teams are going to be allowed to start their training camps a week earlier than everyone else. So then again, you know, we're not talking December 15th. We're talking December 7th or 8th for those teams. So that puts even more of a time crunch because essentially if you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks, you need to be going back to your market this week to be able to be ready for the start of training camp. So that's why as much as January 1st may seem like, oh, you know, they've still got over a month. They've got plenty of time to figure things out. I think we need to see concrete answers as to what the season is going to look like next week if they're going to be able to get things up and running in terms of, you know, starting on January 1st like they would hope. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, th- there is a sense of urgency, and, and I think the one thing we've learned, and I, I'll say this from my own self personally, like once the home team's out or once the dog you have in the hunt is out of it 
from a playoff standpoint, I think it's human nature. I know for me, I check out. Right, like I, I check out of a to a certain degree at the very to, least. Like, to a, yeah, to a degree, right? I mean, you, you kind of watch, you, you pay attention, but you're not as you're not as invested, right? Like, or suddenly it's not like this is must see TV. I need to be hunkered down in front of my television. It's hey, it's a nice day. I'm going outside, especially you know you start getting into the summer weather. The later they start, the more you start bleeding into the nice weather in the spring and into the summer. And I think what what we saw this past year, batch. I don't think people necessarily clamor over the idea of hockey in the middle of summer. No, and it seems like the NHL really doesn't want to get to that point if they don't have to. I think I saw Elliot say this week that the latest possible date that they would want to finish the Stanley Cup final is July 15th because they want this season. It's likely going to be a shortened season. It's almost certainly going to be a shortened season at this point. I don't see any way they can play any two games and finish the full playoffs. Yeah, you know, and you want to try to get some sort of some sort of normalcy, like catch up at some point and get back to a, an October start date to uh, at some point in time here, and, and maybe that is you know in a year from now. But you know they're on the clock for sure right now if they're still aiming for January one. All right, seven forty-five. We'll continue this conversation. Your Canucks commute coming up at eight o'clock. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Hey, you want to talk some Canucks? We got the voice of the Vancouver Canucks here until nine o'clock this morning. We can make it a little bit of a Friday free for all, if you will. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So feel free if you chime in. You got a question? You want to weigh in on something? Uh, let's talk some Vancouver Canucks hockey coming up at the top of the clock. Batch is in the house. Sabalski here as well. It's Friday. 13th superstitious what could go possibly wrong on a friday the 13th in the middle of a pandemic right here on sportsnet 650 this is the starting lineup with james sabolski and perry solkowski on sportsnet 650 all right, 10 minutes to uh, 8 o'clock. Your Canucks commute coming your way at 8. Sabalski in the house. Perry's away until Monday. And Brendan Batchelor in the house. The voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Getting put back to work. When was the last time you worked anyway? Uh, I guess it would have been about a month ago. I did a, a few days with Bick on Canucks Central. Uh, so... So it's it's been a little quiet around the Bachelor household, but uh, you're the only one winning getting, in this uh, pandemic. You're winning this. Like this is like Serb times like five for you. Like you're just getting paid <laughs> to hang out at home and and just living the dream these last couple months. Yeah, um, and and getting some R and R, getting ready for what will yes. likely be a very busy hockey season once it gets underway. So uh, the sooner it arrives. The better, but uh, but yeah, it's been pretty quiet for me. I, you know, catching up on some things around the house. You know, my wife and I are expecting a baby, so I've, I've got a, a long list, a, a long honey do list, I guess. Uh, I guess you could say here to to get completed over the next few months. So yeah, I have, it comes quickly, man. It uh, it, it kind of sneaks up. You kind of look at it. It's the same as like the NHL, right? Like you know, oh, we've got time, and I'm like, oh no, we're out of time. It it, it happens just like that. Um, do you do you find like? I don't think people necessarily realize it in terms of what we do in our lines of work, but do you not find yourself like mentally and physically exhausted after a game? I do usually, yeah. Because uh, you put so you much know, that... into it, right? Like your 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 your, your energy is so high, and then it's the come down after, like a half an hour or an hour after. 
Yeah, and I don't know if it's, you know, just the the amount of focus that you exert while you're calling a game or or certainly hosting a show as well, uh, or just having to be on for two or three hours at a time. But, you know, you kind of have an adrenaline rush after a game, you're right, and then and then you kind of feel exhausted. And, you know, <laughs> a lot of broadcasters will tell you this. The problem with that is that, you know, you feel exhausted after a game, you feel hungry, you want to eat a good meal but you haven't actually burned any calories. So that's one of the challenges uh, for, for guys like us is, uh, is you got to still get actual exercise in so that you don't balloon uh, up. And, and so that's one of the challenges that I've definitely faced over my broadcasting career as, as uh, insignificant a challenge as it may be. No, but you know it's, it's your seven, seven thirty puck drops. So you know you finish up at ten. You're wide awake. It, it's it's definitely different from somebody on a nine to five schedule where you come home. And I've I've often said this. Um, you know when you're as a shift worker, you can certainly appreciate this as well. But you know you come home, you make dinner, you unwind, you help the kids with whatever their rec programs, or you run around, you do some, get some puttering done around the house. Maybe you watch a show or two, and then you get into bed at say ten or eleven o'clock at night, like you've got you know four or five hours to decompress after dinner whereas you know you do a broadcast you're wound up and you know there's pizza there after a game right or or hey we're going for a beer or if you're on the road and yeah no you're right it, it definitely can turn into a a quick uh, vicious cycle for sure i appreciate that uh why don't we quickly check in on what's going on at augusta national here at round two underway um dustin johnson how about this dustin johnson tied atop the leaderboard right now dj at seven under with paul casey who is scheduled to tee off this morning uh at 11 19 this morning so uh those two uh both tied at seven under and then you got Fratelli and Smith both at six under uh, as well. Uh, Justin Thomas at five under, along with Justin Rose as well. Webb Simpson, Xander Shoffley all at five under. And then Tiger uh, also at four under uh, as well for the tournament. Tiger teeing off at about 11.30 our time this morning along with uh, Patrick Reed, who's also uh, the villainous Patrick Reed there, Batch, uh, teeing <laughs> off at 11.19 this morning. I, I, man, you'll appreciate Like, villains help sell a sport, man. Like, imagine Tiger and Patrick Reed in a final grouping on Sunday. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of Rory fans and Brooks Kepka fans and, and Dustin Johnson fans, but, man, imagine you get Patrick Reed in that villainous role in a final round. Like, that'd be something. Well, and I know you'll appreciate this, Seaball, uh, being a wrestling fan as I am. But to have a great baby face, you have to have a great heel. Yes! And, you know, there has to be light and dark. There has to be good and evil to bring out some of those compelling storylines. So I'm okay with a villain in sports. It doesn't matter uh, whether it's golf or hockey or, or football or whatever it might be. Having a guy that, that is disliked and, and draws the ire, uh, of the fan base and of opposition, that's that's not a bad thing in terms of compelling storylines. 100%, right? I mean, the Canucks need the Bruins. Batman needs the Joker, right? Hulk Hogan needed Roddy Piper. Ray needed Kylo Ren. It all works back to wrestling, people. <laughs> uh, we'll continue it. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up in a matter of moments. We'll dive into all things Vancouver Canucks. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Love to get your thoughts as well on this Friday morning. Sabalski, Bachelor, here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive. 
with the Canuck commute. Henderson skating from left to right, and he'll bring it in across the Nashville line. Cuts to the right circle, slows up in the slot. Henderson waits, cuts to the forehand, and scores! Oh my goodness! The kid has deeks for days, and he's got another goal. This one is team leading 14th of the season. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. It is uh, 8 o'clock here on this Friday morning. James Sabalski, Brendan Bachelor in for Perry Solkowski. He'll be back at it on Monday, and this is your Canucks commute here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Batch, before we kind of dive into uh, the Canucks commute, I, I just want to kind of touch on a story um, that Chris Wall just mentioned moments ago. And how about the news out of Major League Baseball just a few minutes ago uh, as the Miami Marlins announcing the hiring of Kim Ng as their general manager. Uh, she is the first female GM in MLB history, 30-plus years of experience. Uh, she's been in the MLB's commissioner office for the last 10 years um, as a senior executive there, but uh, almost a decade with the Dodgers before that, a few years with the Yankees, a few years with the White Sox. She's pretty much checked the boxes in all major markets in America, New York, L.A., and Chicago, and now set to take over. Uh, with the Marlins in Miami. So a big, big step. Uh, she's got th- six league championship series in terms of experience, three World Series, uh, eight playoff experiences. Um, man, like, what a move. Awesome to see. And, uh, you know, Hazel May just posted on Twitter, she did an interview with Kim Ng a few months ago and asked her, you know, what it was going to take for there to be a female general manager in Major League Baseball. And she said, a courageous and gender-blind owner. And and so, you know, credit to the Miami Marlins for seeing Kim Ming's resume and, you know, making the decision to bring her in here. And it makes you wonder, uh, you know, if this is the first of many that we see in the coming years. You certainly hope so. And, and you wonder when you look at other sports, uh, whether we'll see a, a female general manager in the coming years. I know Angela Ruggiero has been uh, rumored to to work in front offices around the NHL. I think she was potentially a candidate for the Florida Panthers uh, this time around, didn't end up getting the job. But, um, you know, it's great to see that, uh, that that's a, a milestone that probably should have been broken before now. But, but here we are, and congratulations to Kim Ng. Well, and, and you know what? I mean, times are changing. And what a week for women, right? I mean, you've got uh, a female vice president and Kamala Harris, uh, obviously, in the last week. And now you've got uh, a female GM. You know what? You, but, like, in between hires in North American sports executives, Batch, you got to go back to the late 80s where, and you talk about somebody ahead of their time, a woman named Joanne Polak had was named the general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders back in the late 1980s. But, you know, outside of that brief run in the Canadian Football League, we hadn't seen it in the NFL, not in hockey, not in basketball, and not in Major League Baseball until today. So uh, groundbreaking news there in Major League Baseball, and congrats uh, on that one there for uh, for Kim Ng, and um, much more on that, uh, I'm sure, as the day kind of unfolds. Uh, also breaking news here in um, 
with respect to the Vancouver Giants, uh, we are also your home for the Vancouver Giants as well here on Sportsnet 650. Um, but it was announced this week that Jamie Heward, uh, the former NHLer and uh, assistant coach for the Giants the last couple of years, is leaving. Um, and they have just announced that uh, Keith McCambridge um, is their new associate coach to uh, join Michael Dick on the bench. So uh, Keith McCambridge is the new assistant coach there. And you spent some time uh, as the vo- longtime voice of the Giants before taking over with the Canucks here, Batch. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, it's believed that Jamie Heward is moving on to go and work for the new farm team of the Vegas Golden Knights uh, in Nevada. So congratulations to him. And uh, Keith McCambridge comes in. I believe he's a former pro uh, looks like he played on uh, on a number of teams in the minor leagues coached during the his eight. playing days. Yeah, coached coached with Hartford in the American Hockey League uh, as a head coach there just a couple of years ago. Coached the Manitoba Moose as well, so he's got a lot of experience there, uh, especially from a pro hockey standpoint. There, Batch. Yeah, so that'll be a good addition to Mike Dick's staff there with the Vancouver Giants. And now uh, we'll wait and see as we are waiting with the National Hockey League as to when. The Western Hockey League gets underway right now. They're expected to begin in early January after the conclusion of the World Junior Tournament. Uh, whether that's something that's going to be realistic or not remains to be seen, especially when you know we talked about the economic factors that the NHL is going to be facing and trying to get fans back in the stands. Well, you look at the, the Western Hockey League and certainly you know the the, the financial implications uh, are big for that league in terms of you know that's a gate gate driven league even more so than the NHL is. So I'll be very interested to see whether the WHL can, can get things going and, and hopefully they are able to, because you know, as much as uh, fans probably won't be able to go in big numbers to see teams like the giants or the Kamloops Blazers or the Kelowna Rockets here in BC, these developmental leagues are so important because they've got to get these young guys playing so that scouts can watch them so that they can have an NHL draft Uh, in the summer here so that you can continue that process of developing players and moving them on to the next level. So the sooner the WHL can get underway, the better. Um, And and you wonder at some point, like, does this province look at some financial support for teams like the Vancouver Giants, the Kelowna Rockets, the Kamloops Blazers, the Victoria Royals, you know, the Prince George Cougars, you know, what does that look like? You know, as they will in all likelihood, not have fans in the stands and they don't have uh, the resources like say what the Golden State Warriors are suggesting in the NBA to spend $30 million on instant testing uh, to try to get 50% capacity at their arena for this upcoming season. Uh, Nevertheless, this is the Canucks commute here on this uh, Friday morning. Um, It looks like an all-Canadian division in all likelihood is going to happen here as I think border issues are going to remain in place, at least for the foreseeable future here, Batch. Hear me out here on this. I shared this at the outset of the show. And back at 6 o'clock this morning, here's where I had um, where the Canucks kind of sit in in an all-Canadian division. I have them in the middle of the pack. And I think you you can legitimately ask questions about each Canadian team. But here's how I got it in, in my own personal view. I got the Habs at number one. I got the Leafs at two. Oilers, three. Flames four, Canucks five, Jets six, Senators at seventh, obviously. How do you feel about that? 
it's going to be a fascinating division. I'm actually really excited for this because to me, you know, there's no clear cut. Okay. This team is by far the best in the division. And I don't even know if it's fair to say that the Ottawa senators are a hundred percent going to be the worst team in the division anymore with some of the moves that they made here in the off season. I've seen all sorts of projections from all sorts of people trying to rank the Canadian division. And I haven't even tried because I have no idea. You look at the Calgary flames in theory, They've taken a step in the right direction. They've added Jacob Markstrom. Um, you know, they've added Chris Tanev on the blue line. Uh, yes, they lost Travis Hamannick, but, you know, that feels like a team that could take a step forward. But also we know with the Calgary Flames over the last few years, whenever you think they're going to take a step forward, they've kind of found a way to stumble. Mm-hmm. You know, the Canucks certainly had a great playoff run. Uh, and in normal circumstances, it would be a hundred percent makes sense to say, okay, they went the deepest in the playoffs of all the Canadian teams. They should be the best, but the Canucks have seen, uh, you know, a large part of their core leave in Tanev and Markstrom and Toffoli and Stetcher. Um, you know, the Canadians bringing in Josh Anderson and moving Max Domi out. That's an improvement. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go as far as you are ball in saying that they would be the best team in the division. You know, the Leafs are a team that, that, obviously have the ability to win games and be very effective. Um, You know, will they be able to find some consistency? The Oilers look to have improved a little bit too. Like, you know, other than you would think the Jets and potentially the Senators being behind the pack, it feels to me like this would be anyone's division to win. And, you know, that's exciting, not just for the fact that we would get rivalry games uh, every single game of the season, potentially, if they're able to play the full year uh, with a with a Canadian only division, but it also feels like a division that's completely up for grabs uh, to me as well. So that's very exciting too. Yeah, no, I, and 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 look, I, I the reality is this: every team there are questions to be asked, right? Like legitimately, right? you you look at Vancouver here first and foremost. Look, is Demko for real? And I think. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement with what he showed in those three games against Vegas in the playoffs, right? But until you know, you don't know. And that's the same as Braden Holtby. That, you know, I and I've said this for months. Like, I liked the idea of Braden Holtby as an alternative if Jacob Markstrom was going to cost too much. But Braden Holtby has not been the Vesna goaltender the last couple of years, right? He had a save percentage below nine last year. Like, we're also banking on this guy kind of finding his ace form again or some variation of it, right? He's the same age as as Jacob Markstrom. So what does that look like for Braden Holtby? I mean, those two guys might be a wonderful dynamic duo and one-two punch, right? They might kick ass. But I think there's still legitimate questions from a goal standpoint. I think your blue line... You've got to wonder that, okay, you, you've got a decent top four now. I think everybody likes Schmidt joining the fold. you got Hughes. I think he takes another step forward. You know, I'm fine with Myers. And Edler, I think, with Schmidt coming in here, I think those minutes can be managed just a little bit more as well. But, you know, Steady Eddie is still fine. But what's that third pairing look like? You know, they're going to give a kid a shot. So that's a huge question mark there. And Jordy Ben didn't exactly set the world on fire in his first year in Vancouver. So that's a big question mark in your third pairing, as has been for pretty much the last five years when it comes to third pairings here in Vancouver. And then up front, you've got a big hole with Tyler Toffoli. So, like, there's a bunch of questions. 
you ask with the Canucks. I think with the Flames, you know, Tanev and Markstrom, I think, help. I think in a couple of years from now, those contracts could prove to be problematic. But for the now, that's a solid-looking team. It's not a spectacular group of forwards. I think there's questions with Johnny Goudreau, but that's still a good blue line. It's still a good, you got a good goaltender. I mean, you got an all-star goaltender in there, and you got a solid group of forwards. You know, the Oilers' question's there. You know, you know, as bad as Tyler as Tyson Berry was kind of painted as last year, he still put up some pretty good points in Ed, in, uh, in Toronto. Now, can the Oilers finally put it together? I think that's a major question still, but I like some of those moves they made. I think with the Leafs, yes, at, at some point, like if the Leafs can psychologically win a round, that team might run the distance, right? I'm not sold well, on Freddie. This is a year that they won't have to face the Boston Bruins or the Columbus Blue Jackets. So maybe this is the year that they do have that breakthrough in the playoffs totally. because they they don't have to overcome their demons, for lack of a better term. Uh, totally. And and Freddie Anderson, I'm not necessarily sold on Freddie stealing steer, series and games in the playoffs, but he's a very good regular season goaltender, which bodes well with an augmented group of veterans that joined the bottom six in that team. They've got a solid blue line now. Uh, not spectacular, but it's solid. And man, you've got some franchise players up front. You know, people can t- knock all the, the the price points that they're paying with Matthews and Marner and Tavares, but you know, you've also got some steals of a deal with you know the price of Bogosian and Simmons and Spezza and Thornton. I mean, it balances well. And then the Habs, where I've got them at number one. Look, I think you, I totally get you can throw a lot of question marks at the Montreal Canadiens, but. I think we've seen that Carey Price has still got lots of game left, and now you've got a solid, like probably the best backup goaltender since Yaroslav Halak that the Montreal Canadiens have had in 10 years. you got a strong D that got even better with Joel Edmondson coming into the mix, who brings a Stanley Cup ring. And look at that group of forwards that you may not necessarily have a franchise player up front batch, but you got seven or eight guys you can make a case of getting you at least 20 goals or more. You know, I think you got to see some steps forward more from Suzuki and Kakaniemi, but you were encouraged by that in the playoffs. But Gallagher should be good for 20. Tatar can get you 20. Josh Anderson, if he's healthy, should be able to get you 20, and they're paying him as such, right? You, you look at Jonathan Drouin as a guy who should be able, in theory, to get you 20 goals. You know, there's a half dozen names right there. Tyler Toffoli they just signed. There's a guy who should, in theory, be able to get you 20 goals. Like, there's seven or eight guys who have that scoring potential in that roster. Yeah, they do definitely have the depth up front. And, you know, when you look at the Canadian division overall, I I probably, and Canuck fans are not going to want to hear this, but I think the Calgary Flames are probably the best suited team to finish first in the division. And, and and certainly you make a good case for Montreal, but you look at Calgary and the one thing that they have not had during this current window, if you want to call it that has been consistent goaltending, right? They had David Riddick and Cam Talbot last year. Their goaltending has sputtered throughout the past number of seasons. And now they've got Jacob Markstrom, who if he can stay healthy coming off the injury setbacks that he had last year yep. is a legitimate you know, many fans here in Vancouver would argue top five goaltender in the National Hockey League. He's going to be able to steal games for them. You know, it's entirely possible he comes into Vancouver and steals games for the Calgary Flames. So I really like the way they're set up, and it's not to take anything away from the Canucks, but goaltending has been something the Flames haven't had really on a consistent basis since Mika Kiprasov, and now they have it. Uh, with Jacob Markstrom. I want to circle back on something you said as well about Braden Holtby. 
Okay. And, you know, I, I like I liked the signing. I still like the signing. And I think he has a chance to really come in and settle down the crease and make it a situation where you're less worried about Markstrom leaving because of a number of factors. First of all, he was playing in front of a Washington defense that statistically was one of the worst in the league. If you look at some of the underlying numbers in terms of the quality of chances they gave up and not that the Canucks are uh, a banner team in terms of being shut down uh, defense, but you know, things should be a little bit better there. And then the one thing we cannot underestimate in all of this is the Ian Clark factor mm-hmm. and the goalie whisperer. Exactly. And and you wonder if Braden Holtby can have a big resurgence in his game after he gets a chance to work with Ian Clark here for a few months. So, you know, the the Flames right now, if I have to pick a team that I think will finish first in the Canadian division, the Flames would be that team. Certainly Montreal's in that mix. Toronto's in that mix. Edmonton's in that mix. And you know what? The Canucks are in that mix, too. Um, if any of those teams had really strong seasons and finished atop this division, it wouldn't surprise me. But you know, it's going to be very exciting because every single game, you know, not just a, a large portion of the schedule like we normally see, every single game from the first game of the regular season to the last game of the regular season, we expect to be a four-point game. And so how you do in individual matchups and whether you have the Flames number or whether the Flames have your number and, you know, all of these things, there's going to be so much more importance placed on these games than we would ever see before just because your entire season is going to be against all of these teams that that you have rivalries with to some degree or other. So that's the part about this that's going to be really exciting for me is every game from the drop of the puck game number one till the final game, whether it's game 48 or 56 or 70 or whatever it ends up being, every single one of those games should be played with a playoff-like intensity, and that's going to be really fun to watch. Well, it's the, it's the meaningful games, right? And, and that's, you know, you're not having to worry about the winter blahs, I think, this year. I think from a, especially from a fan standpoint where, uh, you know, I get that you're probably not looking at fans in the stands, at least on this side of the border, but you are looking at a scenario where uh, every night you're looking at, hey, Canucks and Flames, Canucks and Oilers, Canucks and Leafs, Canucks and Habs. You know, outside of Ottawa, like I, I'm not, I'm not sold that Ottawa's going to take that much of a jump this year. I think they'll be competitive. There's a lot to like. I, I really like what they did at the draft. Um, I like the, I like the fact that they went in and got Matt Murray and only give up a second round pick for a guy who's got two Stanley Cups. I, you know, there's a guy who fits right into the wheelhouse for a team trying to grow as well. Um, but you know, I think they're probably two years away from seeing like the fruits of this labor kind of paying off. But I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited there. But you know, you make the point about how, like, would I be shocked if Vancouver won the division? No, I, I might be a little surprised uh, to see some of those, some of the growth. But man, if like as you touched on, like if Holtby finds his groove again, this goes back to the the Markstrom and, and Holtby scenario that I presented before. Whose resume would you rather have walking into a job interview? Would you rather be Jacob Markstrom or would you rather be Braden Holtby? One's got a cup and a Vesna. Like, I'll take the Braden Holpe resume, right? Like, that's a great body of work. But in the recency bias, and what have you done for me lately, Markstrom's been the better guy. But am I? do I believe that Braden Holpe can find it again? Yes, I do. But there is, 
if you look at the numbers statistically, there's a big question there. Demko's got to prove he can be an everyday number one. He has yet to do that to this point, right? Um, I think the Canucks back end still has to show that they're ready for prime time. Um, and, and look, there's that bloated group of bottom six forwards. Like, Batch, you need more offense out of them, right? And I don't think they quite address that. I mean, you hope that they're going to grow from within. You hope that maybe Adam Gaudet takes another step forward. You know, Jake Vertanen has a golden opportunity to kind of to, to do something and, and, and grow as a player. But, man, like, do you trust Shotgun Jake after six and a half years? Like, hell no. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> seeing this body of work, man. Well, and, you know, their cap situation may prevent them from doing anything more. But if there's one more move I want to see the Canucks make in this offseason, it's to bring in another forward, a guy that could play in the top six. But you know what? With the limited cap space they're going to have, they're going to have to take a risk on a guy. So, you know, whether it's someone like an Anthony Duclair, who is he a bona fide top six forward? Maybe not. He's probably yeah. in that same conversation as a guy like Jake Furtanen, where, you know, he's had a Unlike Jake Furtanen, he's played for a number of teams. Yep. He's struggled to find consistency anywhere. But, you know, with the the cap dollars the Canucks have, they're not going to be able to go out and spend big. You know, they're probably not going to be able to afford a guy like Mikhail Granlund, who would be the ideal fit because he could play the wing. He could play the middle. He could play in your top six. He could play on your third line if you need a centerman. Um but, you know, to me, it feels like they need one more forward that at least gives them a chance to produce more offense do, do you and think have that, an impact. Do you think that because of the price point and because of the dollars, I think they're limited to do anything, if if anything. But it, do you think it comes down to a wait and see with Furlan's health scenario and whether or not yeah. they get that LTIR and maybe there's a little bit of relief where, okay, maybe we can find somebody for a bargain of a deal and bring into camp here or, or maybe even wait till, you know, beyond just camp, um, you know, maybe even early into the season. Somebody who's willing to play the waiting game that they might be able to find somebody at a, at a you know, like you find on uh, Facebook Marketplace, gently used or something along those lines. <laughs> well, and – you know, for some of these players that are still out there on the market, uh, you know, there are guys that are going to get paid. There are guys that will find a team that will be willing to pay them what they're worth. But there are plenty of guys out there who, if it gets right down to the wire, are just going to want a job in the NHL. And that yeah. might be where you go, you know, bargain bin hunting for the Canucks right before the season. You know, especially if you find out that Furland is going to be on LTIR and certainly the organization will have more information to work with. Uh, internally than we will. But, you know, if suddenly Furland, it's, yeah, he's on LTI, you know what, he's going to take this season off and maybe try and have a go next year, or maybe he decides that uh, it's not worth it because of his health to continue playing. You know, these are all hypothetical situations, but yep. maybe suddenly you have an extra million or two where you didn't think you were going to, and then at the last minute you can sign a guy who – you know, would have under normal circumstances made more money, but now just needs a job at the NHL. So you give him a one year show me deal at a million or a million and a half, and you've got that player. Um, but right now, what you're looking at, assuming that the Canucks aren't able to do that, is that either Louis Erickson or Jake Vertanen will be a top six forward on this team this coming season. And I know that's something no. that fans don't want to hear, but. You know, you look at the way Travis Green deployed his lines last year until they acquired Tyler Toffoli and who was playing in that top six more nights than not. Josh Levo had some time there before he was hurt. But if you look at the stretch run after Levo got hurt and before they acquired Toffoli, 
It was, if you need a goal, Jake Vertanen's playing there. If you're protecting a lead, Louis Erickson's playing there. And, you know, as much as fans are tired of seeing Louis in big roles like that, that's exactly what I would expect to see this season if they don't bring in another player. Uh, good point. The Dunbar Lumber text line uh, open for business as always, and it's busy this morning. Um, one text in here. Don't forget to sign your name on this. You're Sabalski. You're way off. Canucks definitely in the top three. You guys put way too much on Markstrom and Calgary. They'll be bottom two or three. Um, I, I, I don't think there's any way they'll be bottom two because nah, this division think. to me feels like uh, – Winnipeg and Ottawa at the bottom and then everyone else is kind of the peloton if you want to you know use that that cycling reference yeah, so and, and, and you it's know, funny I, because, and the Jets and the Jets might have one of the deepest groups of forwards going but I, I think that you know Wheeler's starting to show some age and you know the little health situation uh their blue line's a little thin but you still have a great goaltender so I mean the Jets could prove to be a surprise in the in that division right Yeah. And, you know, with all these head to head matchups, there is going to be a team that underachieves. Right. Like we we talk about that group of five. If you want to make it six and include the Jets, someone in that group is going to have a disappointing year. Could it be the Flames? Certainly it could, Uh, especially if Markstrom has more injury issues like he did last year. And, you know, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. The other thing we have to talk about, we haven't mentioned it with goaltending. And this could be where the Canucks have an advantage is this schedule is going to be compressed. You're going to play back-to-backs. You're going to play three and four nights. You know, you're going to play four and six nights, potentially with regularity. You're going to need both your goaltenders. And the fact that you have Thatcher Demko as well as Braden Holtby could certainly serve the Canucks well. Because, you know, if you look at the strength of backup goaltenders across the rest of this division... I don't think anyone has the backup goaltender the Canucks have, and and that could play a big difference if it comes down to the wire and there's a few points separating, you know, first place and being in or out of the playoffs. The games your backup goaltender is able to give you are going to make a huge difference in, in how your team does in this division that should be hotly contested and tightly packed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Kev Dirt asking at, at 650, 650, uh, what do you think the playoffs look like with an all-Canadian division? I, I, my guess is that you'd probably have four teams on that, wouldn't you think, Batch? Or, you know, if they if they do some sort of wild card format, maybe you have one team that is a wild card and mm. and potentially has to go and play south of the border. And, and you hope that maybe the border issues are a bit better by the time you're getting into May when the playoffs uh, would hypothetically be getting underway. But I think anything is on the table right now. I don't necessarily know if the NHL will now announce a set playoff format at the start of the season because things could change as the season progresses. So at the very least, yeah, the top four teams make the playoffs. Uh, You have a couple of series, then you have a Canadian division final, I guess you would call it in the second round. And then you're getting into league semifinals and finals after that. Um, but whether they decide to do wildcard teams, whether they want to do an expanded playoff format like they did last season because the schedule is going to be shorter in the regular season and the more playoff games you can have, the more TV ratings you can get. And, you know, if, if you're at a point where you can have fans in the stands by then, then certainly that's more revenue you can generate over multiple markets. But, um, you know, I would imagine that almost anything is on the table in terms of what the playoff format looks like. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, okay, we'll continue the conversation. We're up against the clock here right now. Another text coming in as we were talking about uh, the first female general manager in Major League Baseball. Batch, you'll appreciate this. Don't forget Vicky Guerrero as a female GM of SmackDown. WWE way ahead of their time on that Excuse one. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Your voice, you got to be more shrill on that one there, Batch. Come on. Excuse me? <laughs> there you go. Uh, Stephen Ames joined us earlier this morning to talk a little Masters. We'll check in on the latest at Augusta, and we'll hear from Stephen Ames next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 834 here on this Friday morning. Uh, greasy out there on this Friday the 13th. Sabolski, Bachelor. Earlier this morning, um, we talked a little Masters with Stephen Ames, uh, who, hey, waved the Maple Leaf uh, here um, for a few years down at Augusta National, played five straight years from 2005 to 2009. Right now, by the way, Dustin Johnson running away with things here this morning, currently leading at minus 10. By the way, Masters coverage here on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of Maui Jim Sunglasses. The view is better out here. But we talked to Ames about the unique challenges that this year provides with a lack of fans out at the golf courses and how that ultimately impacts some of the competitors out there this year. Definitely, the I would say that the veterans are probably going to see a difference um, because they're accustomed to, to hearing the roars when somebody's made an eagle or a hole in one. And but for the younger guys, I think it's going to be less pressure, which is nice. And you know, funny looking at the leaderboard there, you got a couple of guys that have never been up there that are playing well, so they've probably never experienced the roars and the excitement that the patrons bring to the event. And uh, that is definitely the 15th club in some guy, some veterans' bags too. Stephen Ames with us here on uh, Sportsnet 650, and, and you know, and that's that's the funny thing I've found about this year in sports, Stephen. Where, you know, I, I always I, I liken it to there's an expression a bright lights player, you know, guys who seem to play big in big moments. You know, the brighter the the bigger the pressure, you know, the crowd, and and some people feed off that energy where some guys absolutely kind of wilt in that sort of pressure. Is this type of a year where somebody that, that may not necessarily have that mental strength when nailing that putt in front of 40,000 people, this might be more conducive to their style of game with very few people watching? Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially the younger guys, I think, who've never who don't have the experience of playing in those kind of things. I mean, that is... That is part of the, I guess, in, in all respects, all sports. You know, when you're playing in front of big crowds and all that, that, that's something that you have to learn to adjust to. And over time, you get used to it. You know how to handle your situation, which is under the pressure with the crowd going. And, of course, with the veterans, they use the crowds. I can think of an example. Jimmy Connors, as an example, playing tennis with those people at a U.S. Open, getting them all riled up and going. And uh, using them as a booster for him to get yeah. his game up. So, yeah, you know, it completely goes hand in hand, without a doubt. 
Stephen Ames with us here on the starting lineup. And, you know, another interesting factor of not having patrons is Tiger Woods was talking yesterday saying, you know, we had to ask the camera guys where our ball went sometimes. So you don't have that much help on the golf course. And, and we saw everyone rooting around for Bryson DeChambeau's ball yesterday, too. What did you make of, of his day and the struggles he underwent? But at the same time, you know, when the round is over, he shoots a two under 70. Yeah, no, it's, it's, he's a he's a unique uh, individual, as we all know. Um, I think uh, for him, it's uh, I think when all the buttons are being pushed in the right direction, that uh, he he could be unstoppable, bringing that golf course to its knees. Uh, but like I said, it's golf, it's competition golf, and we all change as individuals when the bell starts to ring, and uh, I think. Uh, he proved that well at the U.S. Open. Masters, have, today's going to be an interesting day to see how he gets out the blocks. Um, but yesterday, obviously, he didn't take advantage. 13 is which cost him with a double there. So I think I mean, if he gets, gets around those, because he is right, I think 67 is par for him. Because he can get up on all par fives very easily. The Sun guys are struggling. They're hitting drivers three woods and still getting a lob wedge in there. And he's, he's flying it on the green, no problem with any club. So, yeah, I think with, if everything works for him, he could probably uh, tear the golf course apart, especially as soft as it is right now. Should we be uh, should we be done with being surprised by what Tiger's doing? I mean, four under yesterday? No. no. Uh, not at all, no. Um, you know, his swing is probably the best it's ever been in a while. Uh, his his problem is always at coming down to the end now is his body is how long is it going to last the game? How much longer is it going to last? Short game's not as sharp. Putting's not as sharp or it's not as useful as it used to be. But um, I think mentally he's still probably one of the strongest out there playing the game. I mean, you had, you had some pretty good head-to-head battles with him going back uh, a few years ago. But uh, to, to give me a sense, like, from, from your – like, when you talk about the body and, and being able to hold up, I mean, obviously we know about the, the physicality. But, you know, even even from your standpoint now playing on the Champions Tour – Give me a sense of how, like, what round, like, that final round feels like, you know, physically, comparatively to when, you know, you're looking at somebody like, say, Spieth or, or you know, DJ or somebody in the, in the, in the prime of their life as opposed to now you're in your, you're in your mid-40s now or even into your 50s for that matter. I think it's physically, I think it's more mental than anything else that really takes the, the toll out on you. And... Uh, if you're not used to being up there and learning how to cope with it and then waiting for the down to come, for some guys, it's instant down. For other guys, it takes a couple of days, if not a whole week, to come down. And Tiger's definitely one of those guys because he rarely plays the week after a major and he rarely plays the week before a major. So it's basically throwing everything in that one week. And I'm sure it takes him probably five or six days to come down from the high and from the physical and mental, emotional emotions that you have when you're playing in that situation. Um, me personally, it's the same thing. I cannot play a week after a major. It's just so mentally exhausting and physically it ends up being, you don't realize it till you actually sit down and relax a little bit. And you're like, wow, everything hurts on me. Um, it's the same with the hockey players. I don't know how they do it going from one night to another night. Uh, it takes a toll on your body big time. Uh, and as we get older, it's harder to do. It's harder to recoup. And uh, 
and it takes you longer to get ready for the next event. Well, and you talk about the, the mental side of things too, you know, this, this tournament's being played in November this year, so things are different. We saw the three-hour weather delay yesterday. We don't know what the weekend's going to bring in terms of, you know, potentially having more delays. How challenging would that be, you know, particularly for someone that, say, yesterday was in the middle of their round and, you know, you have to come off the golf course and then come back today and, and finish your round? Is that something that would be a mental challenge for some of these guys with, you know, obviously unique circumstances here at the Masters in 2020? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I think the guy who's playing poorly and has to play another 18 holes in the afternoon, that's going to be a mental challenge. But for the guy who's like Patali and Dustin Johnson just finishing seven under, they're both going, all right, I'm running on a high, literally. And the adrenaline is, is rolling in and they're like, yeah, I can handle another 18 holes very easily. Uh, the toll will come out at the end of the week when they actually come down a little bit, then they'll start feeling the drain from their bodies. But yeah, it's harder. For sure, it's harder. And with the situation, in some circumstances, like most of the year, we've all, all of us have had long delays. And uh, we've played a lot of events where we played 36 holes in one day trying to finish the event. So yeah, it's a big toll on us, for sure. I've never, I've never seen the, I've never understood that when I talk to a buddy and say, ah, playing 36 holes, like that doesn't sound fun. No. Uh, hey, Steven, tell me yeah, this he's before. 36 holes in a cart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. He's not walking. <laughs> uh, pick us a winner here this week. I mean, there's uh, three days to go here and uh, give us a sense of who you think might walk away with the green jacket um, this year. Well, I had the shambo in my pool. I've got, the, the, got Justin in my pool. And I've got DJ in my pool as well. And funny enough, Tiger was my last pick. So oh. I've got some players up there. <laughs> there you go. Oh, no, you can't You can't take Lee, Lee Tiger out of Augusta. <laughs> no way. Love it. There's Stephen Ames uh, talking a little uh, Masters uh, coverage this morning here on Sportsnet 650. Played the tournament five times. And I just love the fact, Bachelor, that he has a golf pool going. As so many of us are doing the same thing at home, he's got one going himself. Yeah, awesome. That uh, you know, and, and we know that some athletes, you know, get really involved in fantasy sports, and and maybe more so after their careers. Like, I know there's been a a, a football league, a fantasy football league that Roberto Luongo has played in with some local media members for many years, and um, so yeah, Stephen Ames getting involved and. Uh, and that's nice to see, too, that, that these guys could enjoy sports just like the rest of us do by being in a, a pool or a fantasy draft or whatever it might be. Love it. Uh, all right, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock. He's Brendan Batchelor. I'm James Sabalski. More to come next right here on Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to 9 o'clock. The Scott Rintoul Show ready to take on over Sabolski and Bachelor. Uh, all the things happening here, uh, you know, the, going into this weekend. PlayStation 5 just dropped, causing a mass frenzy and people trying to buy it and pretty much not available anywhere online right now. Uh, ACDC's new album drops today as well, so life is good with that as well. 
And Batch, uh, great to hear your dulcet tones again after uh, a little downtime here for you before things uh, at some point will ramp up again. Uh, and if the NHL's plans uh, are to be believed, then I guess we'll we'll be listening to you calling a whole lot of games starting January 1. Yeah, and uh, looking forward to that and good to be back on the air with you. Yeah, and potentially, and we haven't got into this yet, uh, not potentially, we're going to see a new jersey for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, you know, we, we had the poll question on Twitter there about what you would want to see in terms of the reverse retro. It certainly looks and sounds like it's going to be a blue and green version of the gradient jersey, uh, the third jersey from the early 2000s. I personally would have loved to see a blue and green flying V. I think that would be something that's unlike any jersey. You know, first of all, the flying V was unlike any jersey in the NHL first time around, but I've always thought that a blue and green flying V would look look pretty sharp. So that would have been where my vote was cast, but I'm excited, you know, whenever it gets released here to see the uh, gradient reverse retro that we're going to expect from the Canucks. Give me the blue and green flying skate. Give me the blue and green flying skate. And, and here's why, because if for people that want to go back to the flying skate, it's going back to like, the black looks great, but the, the the dirty little secret is that the white flying skate does not look good. Right? It's kind you of don't lame. think so? I never thought that the white jersey looked all that good. It's kind of lame. I mean, yeah. Maybe it's the nostalgia around it, but I always liked both of them. You like, like the I, both. I am fully on team bring those jerseys back as the full-time jerseys. Yeah, I, I I fear based on some of the the sampling and the and the hints that uh, we're gonna see the the return of that maroon and blue uh, two tone jersey that'll go blue and green, which I think the green will pop. But I would just say like you know what, just go to the flying skate, you cowards. The flying V's intriguing. <laughs> the flying V's in- intriguing. But you know I'll say this like I don't know like your hockey jersey shouldn't look like an ugly Christmas sweater. You know, and I get that ugly Christmas sweaters have kind of come into vogue again, but I don't know. Like, I will they, say, I will say this though, because they did a version of the flying skate jersey last year. Yeah. Um. They they made one and they wore right? it in warm up for the one game, the the yellow one, and it looked sharp in the warm up, like it it popped. Um. You know, just being there in the arena and being able to see them wear it during the warm up. So I wouldn't even be against, you know, them bringing back the yellow flying skate as a, a third Jersey that they maybe wear a handful of times for, for a season or two. Um, but, but, you know, that's the interesting part of, of talking about jerseys with the Canucks and, you know, it's unique to other teams that the Canucks have had so many different jerseys that we could spend a whole show debating oh my God. which Jersey they should go back to uh, in terms of our poll question right now up on Twitter at Sportsnet 650 the green and blue flying skate that you are advocating for Seaball has 40% of the vote. So it's running away with it. Uh, the green and blue flying V, which I liked uh, is second at 23% and then uh, a black stick in rank and then a black orca rounding things out at 21 and 15% respectively. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're not in fashion boys and girls. Um, we got, <laughs> we, we got to get out of here batch. Thanks so much for taking the time here. The last few hours uh, time flies when you're having fun. I feel like we really just scratched the surface on some things and uh, you stay safe out there. All the best on baby watch here over the next few months. And, I want to just quickly say a happy Diwali weekend to uh, all of our listeners as well. Please stay safe. 
and uh, we'll be back at it. Same bat time, same bat channel, Monday morning right here on Sportsnet 650. See ya.